to pass the bill so that you can find out what is in it. If you like your doctor, you will be able to keep your doctor. What difference at this point does it make? If you're looking to make sense out of what's going on in the world today, then you've come to the right place. Welcome to Southern Sense Talk Radio with your host, Annie, the Radio Chickie Bellis, and featuring Curtis C.S. Bennett and the most interesting guests that you'll find anywhere on Internet radio. And you can join the show and let your voice be heard by dialing 917-889-3675. So sit back, relax, and remember, Southern Sense is Common Sense. emergency strikes, what's your first impulse? If your answer is run to the grocery store, you're likely to find chaos and plenty of empty shelves. So how do you avoid this? Well, it's simple. You use today to make a plan, to prepare for things that may happen. It's a hurricane, earthquake, blizzard, or even social unrest, especially in today's political environment. The practical place to start is by storing up food in your home. And I use my Patriot Supply for my food storage. If you don't have an emergency food supply, it's time to do so. Here's a great item that makes it really simple. A two-week food kit that comes in a rugged tote. And it's only $75 when you go to my special website, preparewithsouthernsense.com, or call 888-441-7290. This food kit includes breakfast, lunch, and dinners that will last up to 25 years on your stored shelves. So order now and prepare yourself, and then rest easy. So it's very simple. Just call 888-441-7290 or go to preparewithsouthernsense.com. You know what? Let's make it even more simple than that. You're listening to my show, and it's called Southern Sense, and you know you put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com, 
and click on the icon for My Patriot Food. All right, and welcome to another adventure here on Southern Century. You're listening to us on Blog Talk Radio, SHR Media, the Lone Star Daily News, up on iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, YouTube, Facebook, all the heck with it. Just go to the name of the show, put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com, and you can click on the Facebook tab to watch the video live, which will be later uploaded to YouTube. I'm your hostess with the most used to you check Annie, along with my debonair intellectual co-host, oh-so-handsome one, Curtis C.S. Bennett. Good <laughs> afternoon, Curtis. How are you wow. today? I'm going free. <laughs> your head's exploding right now. Your ego just I'm got that big. You. <laughs> You're too kind. Oh man, we got ourselves a, a really busy schedule today. Uh, we have an RMC spokesman who is also an advisor to President Trump, as well as the executive director of the National Diversity Diversity Coalition for Trump, Bruce Lavelle. He'll join us at the start of the show, and I want to th- really thank uh, the people at the RNC, the National RNC. Every week, uh, Gabrielle has been sending me, Gabriella, I should say, has been sending me great uh, representatives for the RNC uh, at the start of each and every show. And we intend to do this through the election cycle uh, if we can keep up this tempo. And it's going to be followed today by former Congressman uh, Tom Tancredo. He is now an advisor to We Build the Wall. Uh, and we also then have a Congresswoman from New York State. Uh, she's a assemblywoman over in New York State. She's running for Congress for Staten Island and uh, Brooklyn. Her name is Nicole Milakis. I'm going to mispronounce her name. I am already butchering this. I was practicing the name last night. Milakis. <laughs> and we also have a former NFL champ as well as, um, oh, good Lord. Uh, it's youth. What is it? What is it? He has here. Oh man, I am really messing up today. Um, I had it in the notes, and I apologize. He does a youth program for kids that are incarcerated. Uh, he's also running for Congress out of Utah. Uh, that's Burgess Owens, and then we're going to finish the show with Kim um, Clackett. Classic. She is running for something like that. Uh, classic. Uh, yeah, she's mm-hmm. running for Elijah Cummings' seat out of Maryland. Uh, and I'm telling you, it's going to be nonstop as usual. I already have my head spinning. <laughs> I can't get my mm-hmm. act together. <laughs> That's wow. why I got the perfect face for radio. <laughs> oh, man. She get some good insight on this impeachment through all these people. Oh, oh there's so much to talk about. And, you know, it's also starting to come to a head with um, Adam Schiff. It seems that he has raised, since these impeachment hearings, and he's been chairing them for the Intelligence Committee, <clears throat> since he started doing this, he has raised $6 million for his campaign. You know, this time last year, it was something like only half a million, but $6 million and what is he doing with that money? He's donating it to the campaign of fellow members of Congress. Now, think about this. He is prosecuting the case for impeachment of the president of the United States. If you think of this like a courtroom, he is the prosecutor. 
the fellow members of Congress he is donating money to is his jury pool. So if this were to be an actual courtroom and these were actual jury peers, he would be charged with a felony for bribing the jurors, for juror tampering. This is what Adam Schiff is doing. Oh, yeah. So think about that, folks. Think about that. What is going on right now? He's writing out checks, $2,000 a pop, to his fellow members of Congress, and it will influence their vote on what they decide to do with the impeachment charges. And there's possibly four. We'll be talking to our guests about this uh, as we go along with the show. Again, want to welcome everyone into our chat room here on Blog Talk Radio, as well as over on Facebook. And uh, I'm playing around with something called Restream, trying to find a better way to broadcast the show where we may have not have to rely on Blog Talk Radio for their chat room uh, in the future. So I'll let people know uh, where we stand on that one, because then they can go directly to our website, Curtis, and they'll have a chat room, whether or not they're watching on Facebook or if they're listening in on Blog Talk or on uh, Spreaker, which is on SHR Media. Mm-hmm. Um, We'll have a dedicated chat room on our page, Southern Sense. So I'm, I got that all in the works. I'm trying to come <laughs> to current times. Stop doing <laughs> things old school, like you told me earlier. Anyway, that said, uh, everyone that listens to the show knows that we start off each and every show with a dedication to a fallen hero. And today's dedication is going to go out to Sergeant Calvin Ansari of the Savannah Police Department out of Georgia. His end of watch was Saturday, May 11th of this year. And this is from the Fox News. A police sergeant who spent more than two decades in the U.S. Army is being mourned after he was gunned down in Georgia while responding to a robbery call. Sergeant Calvin Ansari, 50, was shot and killed on Saturday, May 11th, in Savannah by a gunman who later died after he himself was shot when he allegedly pointed a gun at responding officers. A procession of officers were reported to have lined the streets in the coastal city as Ansari was transported from a local hospital to the crime lab of the Georgia Bureau of Investigation, who were tasked with looking into the death. We lost a man who spent a substantial portion of his life protecting the country and protecting the community, Savannah Police Chief Roy Minter said. We lost a husband, we lost a father, and we lost a leader. And sorry, who spent 21 years in the U.S. Army before joining the Savannah Police Department was set to mark his 11th anniversary of working there this September, the department said. Throughout his police career, Ansari served as a patrolman and an investigator before advancing to the rank of sergeant. He leaves behind a wife and four children. The Georgia Bureau of Investigation said Ansari was called to investigate an alleged robbery inside a barbershop. The gunman, identified as 49-year-old Edward Fuller III, was accused of taking money and items from an individual after striking them with a weapon. 
when officers arrived on the scene, they began their investigation into the robbery. But Fuller was thought to have left the area, the GBI said. As officers were continuing that investigation, Fuller was in a nearby vehicle unknown to the officers. Investigators say when Ansari walked near the vehicle, Fuller sprang out and immediately started firing, striking him and his colleague. Responding officers later tracked down Fuller to a shed behind a home in the area. He was hit and wounded by an officer's gunshot after emerging from the shed and pointing his gun at them, the GBI said. And Sari and Fuller both succumbed to their injuries and were pronounced dead following life-saving measures. And Sari's colleague was treated and released. Our community owes these men and all those who wear the badge a debt of gratitude, Mayor Eddie Deloche added. From Elizabeth Laurenti, from also Fox News. Kelvin and Sarah's children were hard-pressed to remember a time when their father was not in uniform. During his 21 years with the U.S. Army, Ansari served tours in Kuwait, Iraq, and Saudi Arabia. His dedication to public service inspired him to become a police officer in 2008, and the 50-year-old Georgian native rose to the position of sergeant last year. He was in uniform with the Army, then the police department, all my life, said his son, Kelvin Ansari, Jr. We were comfortable with it. He fought in different wars. We saw him as Superman. His whole tenure, I don't remember any close calls. We were used to him always returning. On May 10th, Kelvin, who is 26 and lives in New York, spoke to his father on the telephone. His father, in charismatic, philosophical way, dispensed some pearls of wisdom to his son, including, Remember, your reputation precedes you. 24 hours later, the elder Ansari was fatally shot as he tried to arrest a robbery suspect. My dad was just approaching the car, and this guy just hopped out of the car and shot my dad, Kelvin Jr. said, still trying to understand what will never make sense. He's left with special memories and regrets. He remembers his father, who loved to tinker with electronics, helped him to build his first computer. He was always trying to fix or build something, Kelvin said, an artist. He was always hands-on. If he didn't know how something worked, he just had to figure it out. He recalls how his father loved to reflect, always had a special space wherever they had lived, where he retreated for some quiet time. There was the boys to men barbershop in Savannah, where his father took him and his brother to get their haircut when he returned from an army tour in Germany. And then there were the regrets, things left unsaid and undone on the belief that there'll always be tomorrow. I wish I had reached out to him more, his son said, but I had made more of an effort. I have found out that he also wanted to start reaching out to me more. I was busy. He was busy. I was the child who left the South and moved away. I think of all the things I never got a chance to do with him, like travel, have a real vacation with my dad. 
he loved to travel. That's why my last conversation with him hurts so much. He added we played phone tag for a long time before we finally got to have that last conversation. And the words he said to me, remember, your reputation precedes you, permeates through me. And then he reached Savannah after his father died. Calvin Jr. realized the impact Ansari had on the community. Memorials to his father were everywhere in Savannah, including near the Boys to Men barbershop in front of which his father was killed. His elementary school art teacher said her class worked on a portrait of Sergeant Ansari, and local artists created paintings and drawings in his honor. A little boy ran a mile carrying a Blue Lives Matter flag in Ansari's honor and recorded a video message praising his services to the country and the community. The Savannah Police Department and Savannah in general have been so supportive, his son said. I have gotten social media messages in the thousands from people I have never met. I am so thankful that he is remembered like that. Today's show is dedicated to Sergeant Calvin Ansari. It is also dedicated to all the brave men and women out there that serve as our first responders, be they law enforcement, firefighters, or emergency services. We also dedicate to all the brave men and women that serve in our military from the birth of this marvelous nation through today and into its wonderful future. We dedicate to them this song, Amazing Grace. May may God bless each and every one of them.
And we're back. You're here listening to Seven Cents Live on Blog Talk Radio, SHR Media, The Lone Star, Daily News, up on iTunes, Stitcher, Squeaker, YouTube, Facebook. Ah, just go to the name of the show, put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com. I'm your hostess with the mostest, the radio chick, Annie. Again, I want to welcome everyone watching over on Facebook, uh, listening to us over on Blog Talk Radio, over on Speaker also. I see people lining up in the studio. If you are a guest, uh, please remember to press 1. If you have a question or comment, please again press 1. Otherwise, I will be assuming that you are just listening in. You know, Curtis, you know, when I was doing the dedication, uh, Savannah is just slightly south of me. And um, I know the barbershop. I don't, I've never been in it, but I've driven past it many times because we do make quite a few trips to Savannah for various reasons. And I've, I've passed it so many times. And uh, I always saw the name because when the Boys to Men first came out as a group, I liked them. And I actually got the CD, which I still have on the shelf. So I thought it was so cool. And to see that, you know, here, Sergeant Ansari took his kids, his boys, to have their hair cut there. He patrolled that whole area in front of there, and it would be the final place that he would be uh, on this earth. Uh, it tears me up a little bit here. So. Yeah, it anyway. is sad. Um, it is um, the number of police officers that's been killed this year. I mean, it's like there's no end to it. No, no, no. It just, and it doesn't help when we have a segment of our liberal society that just riles up the people, these anarchists, these these far left wing nuts that are out there with anti police protests, and slogans, everything, and everything yeah. else. Yeah, it, 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 we see it throughout all these urban areas. Um, and Savannah, yeah, it is a city, but it's not like New York City or Baltimore. You know, it, it's more of a sort of suburban urban area. And you got some areas of high congestion, yeah, but you know, a lot of it's all sprawled out. And you've got single-family homes in a great number of these neighborhoods. And some of these neighborhoods are just fantastic. And uh, to see a brave man like this get 21 years of his service, uh, and then another 11 years uh, in the police department. So between the Army and that, that's 32 years of his life. A service. Yeah. That's more than half of his life. So, you know. And, and I, know, life, I, know there's, I know there's a few bad apples in just about every every career. You know, it's not just law enforcement, but it's so minuscule. But the thing is, for them to focus on it in such a way that um, it brands the whole, you know, the whole field, that's that's just un-American, you know. Shouldn't take it out yeah. on everyone. We got good law enforcement officers out there, great first responders. And I say that because sometimes they're the targets of attack as well. I've seen many uh, cases where firemen... We're going to a scene that got shot at, you know. So uh, you have to wonder yeah. about this society. I mean, we're seeing cities like New York, you know, in the late 60s, early 70s, it was a wild west zone. 
And then, you know, he came in there with Mayor Giuliani, served several turns. He really worked to clean up the streets. And we worked our butts off there to, you know, to enforce uh, various laws that raised the quality of life throughout the city. No matter what borough you were in, you were seeing a better quality of life. And now, when I retired, everything was looking great, looking wonderful back in 96. And I'm hearing it's back to the Wild West again. You have a mayor in there that is just doing everything counter to what good policing and, and good shepherd, you know, good governance of this city. And all that hard work that so many people did, so much blood, sweat, and tears that we laid into helping the people that live in the city to have a better quality of life, the people that work there to be more comfortable and more productive in their jobs because not worrying about their personal safety or whether or not they're going to get home alive, you know. And then to see time after time after time all that hard work just for naught, for absolutely naught. Yeah. And then you have someone like AOC telling people to go out there and, and do these mass protests in mass and have thousands of people jump the turnstiles in the, in the city subways. Hello, those fares that you are jumping that you're not paying goes to help run those subways to pay the salaries of the people that run those trains that keep those stations clean. Those subways are there for your convenience so you can get from point A to point B with the least amount of difficulty. You jump those turnstiles. We can't maintain those trains and keep them running. We can't pay the employees to maintain the stations and, and run the trains. You're not going to have the trains. You're going to be walking. Or you're going to be taking a taxi that's going to be stuck in bumper-to-bumper traffic for the next five hours. You know, it, it, they well, shoot themselves in the foot. They destroy their own homes. It's that culture of entitlement. And when you have... Um, constitutional um, officers, you know, elected officials like AOC who swore to uphold the laws of this land and then they encourage these people to do these things because, um, you know, they feel they're entitled to, you know. You have to wonder how can they, you know, stay in office? They're not upholding the oath that they took. Well, that's why this 2020 election is going to be so important. So important. Most certainly. We've got to get AOC out of there. New Yorkers, come on. She's making a fool of you. Already cost you, what is it, 25,000 jobs in, in Queens, in Long Island City? And how much more damage is she doing to the city by encouraging rioting? Well, go. I think they thrive. She has I think they thrive off of um, discourse, you know, these uh, radical left-wing nut cases. They thrive off of it. So, I mean, we can expect what we see. I'm just surprised New Yorkers put up with that. Well, hopefully not very much longer. You know, it, it's – well, we're going to be talking to the Assemblywoman for uh, New York uh, a little bit later on. And uh, hopefully um, we'll discuss this because she is someone that has called uh, AOC out on that. She has she actually ran for mayor of New York City. And as a Republican, she got the highest number of votes. She wasn't able to unseat him. 
Uh, but she had a good, valiant try. So when we talk to uh, Nicole, uh, we're going to see uh, how what she's going to do. There's so much to now, do. That's so much to do. Is she is she running for U.S. Congress or um, at the state yes. level? No, she's okay. running for New York District Seven for Congress. I so, see. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, well it I looks like here. I may have. I, I may have line. someone on my cell phone. I I I wish they. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're trying to call, and I I'm. Oh darn it! Now I got to see if I can text this person back to tell them to call the proper number because they can't. I can't switch between the cell phone. And this phone. So let's see if I can I can do that. And <laughs> folks, this is this is live radio. So while we do that, let me see if I can. Uh, we'll we'll play a song and and cover until I can get this going again. I have our guest in the studio. I see a hand up, and is this Bruce Lavelle? Hey, how you doing? How's it Hi, going? How you doing today? 
I yeah. am just I'm nuts as usual. <laughs> but that's the yeah, Bill's character. Point. Bill's character. <laughs> oh man, um, you are with the um, you're the executive director of the National Diversity Coalition for Trump, and you're also an advisor to President Trump. And there's so much going on. I, the, we can't help but mention this circus that is this impeachment here. I mean, it's it's getting nuttier and nuttier every day. Well, all I can say is that I hope that the next election processes or the next election cycles across this country that, um, hey, the, the, the shifts and the Maxines and everyone else, their constituents will pay close attention and really come to grips that do they really want to send a social media activist or do they want to send someone that's more interested in helping their district with jobs, homelessness, and economic development? Andy, that's the bottom line. And so I know we got some Looney Tunes stuff going on, but I have to push back and bring it a little stronger back to the constituents. I mean, is this is this the best you, know, you can do? I mean, come on. I mean, this is this is a travesty uh, on our democracy or our republic, as I like to say, as it relates to what what people are sending up to D.C. out of their districts. I mean, this this is a, this is accountability back to the voters too. But you know, it's it's going to play itself out. It's not going to go anywhere. Um, it's a waste of time. We got the Mexican uh, trade agreement that's still sitting on the table that can create hundreds of thousands of jobs. It's just sitting out there, caught up in politics, and it's it, it doesn't do well for the consumer confidence. Thank God we're still doing still doing good in terms of our jobs and and our unemployment numbers. But I think we could actually be doing even better going into the holiday season if we weren't dealing with this craziness, which would be a win-win for all Americans. Well, absolutely, because there's so much that's sitting in Congress that is not moving an inch forward. And it, right. it, 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 the whole nation is staring at them, looking at them, going, you're doing these impeachment hearings, but we've got the wall to build. We've got immigration reform to hang up. We've got to go after health care and the cost of prescriptions that are rising through the roof. Yeah. You know, we have to shore up our economy, shore up the Social Security, you know, shore up the debt. You know, there's so much oh my God. out there. Tell me about it. Do. Yeah. And yeah. Like, you know, instead, the go ahead. 30 million businesses, 30 million small businesses in this country, 80%, Annie, that support and pay the debt service to the nation. And let me tell you, you know, I'm all, I live in Atlanta and I've traveled all across the, this great nation, especially in the Southeast. And the number one concern, as you said, or, you know, as, as you went down the line items and things we could be t- dealing with is healthcare as it relates to small business. I mean, turn it, trying to incentivize our employees, trying to retain, you know, we got some good job numbers, but it's still dismal as it relates to really good, quality, affordable health care that employers can provide, especially in the small business sector. You know, it's, 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 it's you know, a travesty because we're too busy messing around with, uh, as they say, going down a rabbit hole. <laughs> <You know? laughs> well, as a, as a former small business owner, I can exactly relate to that. You know, how yeah. do you make payroll? When you have this yep. huge health care bill, thanks to Obamacare, and Nancy Pelosi, yep. I read both the House and the Senate bill before they were married. So I knew it was in it before you waved it around saying, we have to pass it to know what's in it. Oh, I know. And, if it's and, and, small, 
Well, yep. say, if someone small like me could take Annie. the time, she's got a whole yep. staff to do this. She couldn't even do that with her staff. Yeah. Well, you know, it gets back to what I'm saying. I'm going to hold the accountability right back to the voters of these districts. If this isn't enough to get them to wake up, the AOCs and the Omars and all the folks around here that turn their their seats into social media activism platforms versus going out there and fighting hard for their districts, then I'm, I don't know what to say for them. As my grandma said, honey, I'm just going to have to pray for you. I don't know what else to do for you. <laughs> <laughs> as, as a transplanted New Yorker here in the South, uh, just – I'm just north of Savannah. I'm over in Buford. Uh, I, 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 my girlfriend used to go, bless her heart. And I said, Margaret, as soon as you say that, I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop. <laughs> bless their heart. Oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Well, you know, I, we just got to keep our president and our country in prayer because um, you see the unfortunate shift that's going on. I mean, I never thought we would be arguing or debating. You know, um, a simple thing like the flag that represents all of us, all Americans, you know, whatever, Christian, Muslim, Jewish, whoever you are, white, tall, black, small, whatever. And we're literally debating our flag, you know, so um, the nation is, uh, you know, going through a transformation. But in light of this, we're seeing the good light of my friend Kanye and and Pete Eddy and all these other folks who are like, hmm, wait a minute, I got this thing called – called going back to church, you know, so those are the great lights that I see as it relates to the dark stuff that goes on with this fake impeachment and all the other uh, fake news that tries to attack the president in this great country. So um, that's, that's, that's the good light that I see in the news cycle, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I mean, Kanye West had, had the, the courage to stand up for his convictions. Says, I don't care if you buy my records or not. I don't care what you think. Yeah. And he went and supported President Trump, and yeah. he he went strong on his faith. And you're seeing people, Brandon struggle with the walk away movement. And God bless yeah. these men for having the power and faith to do that. Yeah. But we're also seeing in this election cycle a lot of young guns coming up. We've got a lot of yeah. old timers retiring and saying, I'm not running again on the Republican side, but we've got a whole slew of these young guns coming up and coming up fast. Yeah. Well, and that's the beauty of it. So I always say and when there's when there's some darkness, I have to look and be optimistic of the light that the blessing in disguise that it might bring upon us. So <clears throat> I'm just optimistic and hopeful that they really pay attention to this and just really uh promote and and really uh, embrace new folks who want to come and serve. But one of the things that the president has been so uh, valiant about is the fact that he got into office promising never to be beholding to special interests and bad lobbying. And I hope that still keeps transcending down to the local elections as well as Congress and Senate and across the board. And and I'll be honest with you, Annie, one of the reasons why it's very hard for the president is you got to remember He's trying to get deals done with people who are, who are sitting in those elected offices who were birthed through bad lobbying and special interest group. So that in itself is trying to get it has to go through a reformation the way he's transformed the Oval Office as it's gone through a reformation on absolute transparency and absolute following and keeping the promises. Historically, both sides of the aisle would promise 
the world and get up there and, and make an excuse why they couldn't do it. This president said, no, this is I'm delivering this. So I, I, I think we have to get the people of America detoxed and send them to rehab to realize that let's get uh, <laughs> our, our elected officials accountable, but let's just start putting the ones in there that are actually going to do what they say they're going to do and not psych yourself out and say, well, he said he tried, but he could. No, don't accept that. So, um, I mean, you know, it, it's, it's, you know, I hate to say it, but this country's going through its, its own revolution in itself. It's, I call it the control alt delete, where it's just rebooting itself, <laughs> and uh, it, it's, it's uncomfortable because, you know, both sides of the aisle in the last 30, 40 years said, well, we've always done it this way, but we've always done it this way. We've always done it this way. We want you to speak a certain way. We want you to stand a certain way. We want you to speak this way. We want to feel good. And you saw the president in all his rallies. He actually mocks that. He said, I'm not going to go up here and, and pretend to be someone I'm not. And it's really getting the American people to, well, not the 63 million that voted for him, but the other parts of the country. Like, look, do, do you want someone that's authentic and transparent and organic, or do you want somebody plastic? Because you see what plastic gets us. Low, un, you know, high well, unemployment, you know, no jobs. I mean, it, you know, what, what do you want? So, you know, I, I, I think uh, I know the president. I saw him this Friday in Atlanta when he came. We had the uh, Black Voice of Trump. We talked, and he's in great spirits, and he's he's strong. Um, he's not, uh, you know, stressed out like people, the mainstream media tries to say. It's, you know, um, I think for him it's just a – an unfortunate bump in the road that's getting in the way on his objectives as it relates to finishing out his agenda to help the country. So, but it's, it's still going to prevail. And let me tell you something too, Annie, watch, watch, uh, attorney general Barr. Pay it. Just, he's, he's, oh, yeah. <laughs> watch what's getting ready to come out. You know, oh, yeah. um, oh, this yeah. is a very good attorney general. I tell people I was on uh, MSNBC two weeks ago and I said, do you think that this man who is who is proven under the Bush administration and and before that, not to mention his whole entire family, do you think he would come all the way to the end of his career to throw away his good name over foolishness? Mm-hmm. Absolutely not. So no. stay tuned. It, it, he's, it, he's investigating. It's going to backfire, and a lot of heads in important places <clears throat> is going to roll. But this, in a way, has beneficial to President Trump because – while the Democrats have raised, I think it was something like only 8.7 million since this whole thing started, the Trump campaign has raised. I thought I saw the figures something like 67 or 69 million. Yeah, there's 128 million out, right now in the coffer. Uh, well, right then now. somebody was throwing some old money up there. So you know, <laughs> Trump is someone yeah. who thrives on adversity. We've had presidents in the past that when adversity hit, they ducked under the desk and cried to yep. mama. But <clears throat> Trump is not. He goes, throw it at me, bring it on, because it's a challenge I'd love to handle. It's, yep. it's just yep. his personality. Yeah. And, you know, I, I tell people, it's like, why don't you tell him to tell his Twitter? No, let him be himself. I mean, I, you know, it's interesting, Annie, is like every family has that one uncle that comes to that family reunion or aunt. And everyone sits back and says, uh-oh, here comes so-and-so. You can always guarantee to get exactly the truth and exactly the, for them to tell you how they feel. I'll take it any day. At least I know what we're getting. I'll take it mm-hmm. any day. Any day. For better or for worse. That's what I tell everyone. Okay. 
I said, you're going to celebrate the record Dow, the record NASDAQ, just like the record low unemployment, and you're going to, you're going to accept everything else that comes with it unconditionally. Oh, this is my co-host, Bruce. Curtis C.S. Bennett. Go ahead, Curtis. Hey, it's evident that the policies of the president has had a positive impact in the minority community, and I know he has um, emissaries um, to go out and um, spread the, um, the good word about what's being, you know, done to help minorities. But does the president himself have any plans to engage the um, black community? I mean, I know they don't welcome him with open arms, but I think at some point you need to go in there anyway and um, just state your case. Yeah. Good point. Well, you know, I don't know if you saw the news. Well, last Friday, I was actually with him. We had over a thousand, um, of course, African-American supporters with him here in the city, right in the heart downtown of Atlanta. Um, and in a 99% Democrat district, city council, mayor, uh, John Lewis, right in the heart. And I can tell you, um, you know, in terms of, uh, uh, and, you know, not to mention he was at HBCU two weeks before that. Uh, getting the 2020 nonpartisan um, prison reform uh, award as it relates to being a champion in unraveling, uh, well, should I say, bits, a major part of the 94 Clinton crime bill and still working in progress that was the largest mass incarceration of African Americans in 94, which me, for me, I, I challenge a lot of my uh, brothers across the other side of the aisle. So why are you supporting the, the very person who authored this crime bill and Joe Biden and championing behind him. Don't you, do you like the same old thing or why not try something different? And I, and, and I will tell you, Curtis, it is a gradual progression because, you know, in terms of the African-American community, I was down in Auburn Avenue and I was, uh, you know, there's been several businesses that have been up and coming here in the last year that are opening and they say, you know, I like this economy. Please don't mention my name on TV or publicly because I don't want someone to throw bricks through my window. So, you know, in terms of uh, <clears throat> the silent majority, especially the black male vote, it's going to be tremendous. It's going to be a game changer, especially in the 2020 election, like it was in 2016. I mean, certain parts of Ohio, black male votes were as high as 20 percent in certain counties in Ohio is the fact that. They're, they're starting to see a place to land to where there is some level of comfort, but not for all. Some still uh, are under, uh, per, you know, should I say persecution for how dare you uh, come out and support, you know, and something that we're, we don't want you. And it is intimidating for a lot of folks because I'll tell you, man, it's very hostile as it relates to the rhetoric that's thrown to uh, uh, black Republicans, you know, across the country. You know, not a lot of them are, you know, like either courageous or crazy, like me and Pastor Daryl and a lot of us who've been in the fight since the beginning. We're on national TV and we're very vocal. But, you know, a lot of folks are like, look, um, I, I'm voting for this guy, but I can't put my name out here because he'll throw bricks through my window. And I've always said that's some of the largest, you know, under talk in terms of voter suppression that the country doesn't address especially on mainstream media, and even some of the conservative media doesn't really talk about it, how incendiary and how harsh it is. And you saw an example on, you know, how they went at Kanye, just say, hey, I, I, you don't tell me how to vote. 
I want to vote this way. You know, obviously it's easier for him. He's got a hundred million in the bank, but it's still, you, you know, he still risked his brand and everything else because he stood on a principle. So I think it's basically giving Curtis more and more people courage to really slowly come out more and more. And I think the more uh, policies that are conducive, that are a win-win, especially in the black community, it's going to slowly start pulling more and more and bringing more courageous African-Americans to come out and say, you know what, you can hate me all you want, but I have to agree that this particular policy, cutting regulations and uh, putting major money behind where your mouth is, what he says in HBCUs, and really getting a point to where they're adjusting Dodd-Frank, where access to capital is key in smaller banking communities and small uh, underserved communities, as well as the Opportunity Zones, which is a tremendous uh, adrenaline that can help a lot of the underserved communities, which are predominantly African-American communities, where it gives them a chance to start a business. You know, the president's talking about generational wealth, black America building a business. If you live in a black community, why don't you own the grocery store, the convenience store? This is the conversation that was in Atlanta on the national stage. You had two black business owners that he was highlighting, you know, some 8A contractors, uh, Janelle and uh, Kelvin King, who build buildings. African-American couple that he brought up on stage and just promoting and enticing America, especially black America, hey, you build this, you own this, you be the job creator. Most candidates, presidents, Democrats and Republicans, historically Bush, Obama and the rest said, we're just going to bring you jobs. But this president's like, no, you're going to build your business. You know, that's not really, no one's really talked about that. You know, if you notice in the Democrat debate, there was only one candidate that actually talked about that, and that was Cory Booker. He actually said, okay, finally, a Democrat candidate said something decently with substance, and he started talking about black business and building black wealth back into these communities. So um, not going to vote for him, but I'm just, I will give him that particular talker. But, you know, this is something that's win-win in the in the president's administration that – it does. It, it's picking up a lot of momentum because it's challenging a lot of these underserved communities and, and challenging Black Americans. It's like, hey, let's 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 think about building this. Let's, you know, it's interesting. You know, Curtis and Annie, when you go to uh, the Chinese communities, they call it Chinatown or Little Italy and all the parts of this country and uh, a, a place where it's predominantly East LA. Some of my cousins live out there in Los Angeles, where it's 99% Hispanic population where they own the grocery stores, the banks, the gas stations. So in African-American communities, a lot of those gas stations and other convenience stores are owned by foreign nationals. No disrespect to them. They have every right like everyone else. But the challenge is if you're 98% African-American in this community, ask yourself, gee, why don't I own this retail store? Why don't I own this? And that's what the president's pushing through op zones and pushing that narrative. That is a, a tremendous win-win, and it just, you know, a lot of times, you know, I've been in business for 27 years in Atlanta. One thing about, especially for the listeners that are thinking about building a business, you have to first start by speaking it into existence, and that's where, that's where the dream and the vision starts. Sometimes you, people have to speak it to you. Yes, you can go to school. Yes, you can be a lawyer. Yes, you can build this business, this trucking company. You know, it's, and sometimes the, the commander chief, you have to speak it. Because remember, in the previous administration said, you didn't build that. You didn't build that business. And I can't blame him well, because he, he's never ran a business, so he didn't know any better. So that's, well, you he, know, he, he comes from a community. So, so this is, this is like, as, as I say, detoxing 
as I call it, generational curses, especially in the black community, by not saying, hey, you can build, you can grow, you can do this. And it starts with that. So, And I am starting to see a lot of very vibrant entrepreneurs that are, that are challenging and coming out and like building their business in the last two years. They don't talk about it. And if you well, try to highlight them, they'll say, please, please, please don't talk about me. They'll throw, they'll throw rocks at me. Well, <laughs> you, you, you hit on so many, so many points and subjects right there uh, because at a point in time prior to 1960, the black middle class was one of the fastest growing. I mean, one of the first black millionaires happened to a woman who sold cosmetics. And yeah, Madam that attitude Walker. was there. The, the can-do yeah. attitude was there. It was taken away when we were given generational poverty with these uh, LBJ, Great America Programs. Of, yeah. of, I call of, it the generational uh, curse. <clears throat> exactly. The great society welfare, programs. The welfare, yeah. the Section 8 housing, the food stamps created a generational uh, poverty because everyone says, well, the only way I can exist and subsist is at the generosity of the government. So I don't have to work. I can sit back and get my welfare check and my food stamps and my Section 8 housing and my free Obama phone and my free Internet. I'll, I can get everything from the government for free, so why should I have to work? So there was no will to build up, no will to create. But we're seeing that now. Which, which brings me around to two of my guests that are coming on after you, Burgess Owens, who's running for Congress out of Utah. And then we also Ask have him to send you that Kim new book Pat- he just wrote. <laughs> uh, which one? Um, uh, well, I've he's got two. He's got Why I Stand and um, Liberalism, or How to uh, Turn yeah. Good Men into Winers, Wieners, yeah, and Women. <laughs> Burgess has been on the show quite a few times And the other one, she's running for um, Elijah Cummings feet out of Maryland Which I believe is District 7 Kim Classic, she's going to be on yeah, Kim And then yep. To add the Hispanic The Cuban American into it We have Nicole Militakis Who's running out of Staten Island and Brooklyn For New York District 8 To take that back yep. from a Democrat So I yep. I'm there. I'm I'm there helping you guys as best as mm-hmm. I can. So, you know, we're also here in South Carolina District 1 where we lost the seat to Joe Beerkin Cunningham. And we are all whole hog in getting that seat back into, you know, yeah. a Republican. So we've got <clears> some good runners. Well, it happens to be a friend of mine, and I've had – out of the five Republicans, four of them at my Tea Party meeting. Yes, Tea Party is still alive. Tell, tell those folks on the beach at Fripp Island and Harbor to come on across that bridge and do the right thing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But That's your next-door neighbor to, over there, right? <laughs> yes, it is. Uh, one <clears> of the <throat> things I wanted to mention is that at our last meeting, we had the school superintendent uh, who came up, a new guy, and – our Tea Party group was asking them what they were doing to bring up the level of education for our kids. And I brought up a point that what we had in New York is we had adult education at the local high schools. So people that hadn't finished their GED or looking to get into a new uh, business or learn a new skill, even though they were working and had kids in school, we offered them at a real discount the ability to better themselves. And I says, I don't see that here. 
You've got one school for the entire county, and that school is south of the Broad River. So you've got people out in St. Helena, people out in Dotar that have no way to access that. So if we've got parents that are living in poverty but want to do something better for their lives and build something, why can't we start doing that and start with the education of them so they have that ability to start a business or better themselves in their lives? And this is what this election is all about, raising people up. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, it's definitely an eye-opener. I don't know what else to open the American people's eye with all the the shenanigans that's going on. So um, in light of that, hopefully it will resurrect and energize the folks that just not going to allow this to happen. And it happens at the ballot box, period. And that's where it has to be. Yes, it, it does. And as I tell people, all politics starts local. So look what's around yep. you and Absolutely. who you're electing from the dog catcher up to your councilman. Because uh, these people are the ones they advance to go on to Congress and probably even President of the United States. Mm-hmm. You know, so what you see around you, if you have the jobs, why? Because the economy is going good. If you don't, then find out why and see what you could do to open up the community. That simple thing of asking about adult education for the people here that have no access to it, how many people will take advantage of that? And in a few years, maybe open their own right. business. We're just sending that idea to the new superintendent, and he's going to work on it. And that's how you start it. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> but also, uh, Curtis had mentioned about diversity, and two new things had opened up. Black Voices for Trump was launched uh, just recently, and Veterans for Trump was launched also. And through your your group there, the National Diversity Coalition for Trump, you're reaching out to everyone across the board and letting them know, hey, you don't have to be stuck in the generational ideology. Think outside yep. the box. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's, uh, hey, it's, it's a, it's a <clears throat> I was on the uh, RNC convention floor on the 2016, and uh, I was, I was actually on CNN and Kaylee McElroy was on a panel with me with uh, Don Lemon's show. And I I remember distinctively telling them that when President Trump gets elected in November, of course, they didn't believe me, of course. I said, you're going to you're going to you're going to be able to live through a living, breathing American bona fide revolution. And yeah, and you say that word, people are just kind of like, whoa, but I mean, I don't know what else to call it. And uh, we're living through it now. And, you know, we've we've paid to play for so many years. <clears throat> Both sides of the aisle were guilty. You know, um, Obama has his baggage. Bush has his and on down the road. But now you have someone that's set that took absolutely not one dime from special interest and made any promises back. Ran a campaign all the way through the primary on $46 million when Jeb Bush put an $80 million tax ad just for the month alone of Iowa, and he ended up in the Oval Office. There's a lot to be said about that. And and like I said, Annie and and Carl, I hope that for all the folks that are listening, and just when I go around speaking, whether I'm on national news or whatever, local or whatever, is that it's inspiring someone that wants to have the willingness to serve, to bring all their private sector experience, go in, make the right votes 
serve, spend the money, be a good steward of the taxpayer's money. Don't stay forever. Do a good job and go sit down and let someone else take over. <laughs> you know, and, and that's what I'm praying out of this whole reformation that we're going through. <clears throat> well, what, what Trump also does is he speaks what a lot of people are afraid to say. He, he, what every average American was thinking in their heart, he brings it out into the open. So he's giving voice to people that thought they didn't have a voice anymore because they took it by taking, trying to take away our guns. And we didn't fight. They, we didn't fight. They turned around and tried to take our faith. Again, we didn't fight. But they also tried to take away our voice. And again, we didn't fight. But we're fighting back now. And we're fighting back with ballots, not bullets. So this is going to be a, a peaceful revolution like the world has never seen before. Bruce, it has been a pre- pleasure having you on. And I know that Gabrielle is going to send you back. Uh, she sends me someone every week. So I hope that it will be you once again soon. All right. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Blessings. And God bless you for hey, the hard take work care, you Bruce. do, sir. Thanks, Carl. All right. That was Bruce Lavelle. You can find him over at um, his website is ndctrump.com. want to welcome back onto the show, and I'm clicking the wrong part buttons in the studio. Anna, get your act together. My fellow paisan, Tom Tancredo. Good afternoon, Tom. How are you doing today? I'm doing very well, thank you. Good afternoon to you, too. Uh, it is so much fun to have you on there. You know, when you were in Congress, did you ever think you would see an impeachment proceeding going forward like this one is going forward? Oh, no, I must admit that. Because, first of all, this isn't like any impeachment proceedings that has ever been in the past, ever, never since the, since the republic started. There's nothing been like this. Oh, I never expected it. I I must tell you that, you know, I am a Trump, of course, a Trump supporter, and I pray for his health and his, and his safety. I, I think, frankly, they will do anything, and I mean anything, anything to stop him. So, I mean, that's how much they hate him, and that's how much of a threat he poses to them. So, but but even what I feel for the president, I, I feel for the country, because what they are doing to the United States of America, to our republic, is so diabolical, so disastrous, that it has such long-term ramifications that it is the greatest, that is by far, I think, the greatest crime that's been committed so far is by the Democrats against the republic. They are turning this country into a banana republic, all for the, all to get rid of Trump and to retain their power base. They are despicable people, despicable. And uh, I, I cannot, for the life of me, uh, bring, I, I think of often about, you know, you just have to put this in perspective and, um, and um, you know, but it's hard. It is hard because of the enormity of the danger that they pose to the republic. Well, you know, normally you would have an impeachment proceeding and investigation come out of the Judicial Committee, never out of the Intelligence Committee. But what got me even more upset is that when I learned that Adam Schiff in his fundraising for his campaign 
raised $6 million. Now, he is in charge of this impeachment investigation. So he's essentially the prosecutor. And his fellow congressmen are the jurors. What he has been doing out of that campaign fund, that $6 million slush fund he raised, is writing out you know, these checks to his fellow congressmen for their campaigns. If this was an actual prosecutor with an actual jury in a courtroom, that prosecutor would be behind bars for bribery of the jury and for jury tampering. But Adam Schiff is doing this to the very people that are going to vote on articles of impeachment. He's bribing them. Sure. Well, of course, that is exactly what the, the leadership does in so many ways, even before all of this. When the, the leadership develops what they call leadership PACs, you know, PAC, PACs, and, and they, they raise millions and millions and millions of dollars. The purpose of those is to support other candidates, other members of the party, but they use it very carefully to make sure that they are rewarding the people that they want to reward, punishing those that they don't. And when you, when you then see how you say to yourself, gee, I don't vote for America. You, you just dropped off there, Tom. Tom, you dropped off. You dropped off. Uh, Tom, are you still- is that any better? Oh, that's better, yeah. Did I lose you there? Okay, I'm sorry. Yes, you did. Um, When you send people to Congress and all of a sudden they start doing things that you didn't, you can't understand, it's not anything like what they promised. Well, many times, and I'll say most of the time, it's because the leadership comes to them and says, hey, this is the way I want you to vote on whatever it happens to be, even if you told your constituents something different. This is what I want. This is what we want. And if you want any part of the largesse that we collect in these leadership packs, you will toe the line. So it's not just in this case, but it is part of the corruption that I see endemic in Congress. It's absolutely a shame. And Curtis, are you with me? Yes, I I lose my co-host. Oh, okay. I thought I lost you for a second. <laughs> I'm still here. <laughs> uh, no, because I saw cool Mike had raised his hand. He wanted to ask a question, and then he dropped back out. So, Mike, if you have that question, you know, let me know, and I'll bring you back on. Um, it, it's it, and it's even going to be more of a farce once it gets to the Senate because now Trump is saying, "Bring it on," because he saw what the witnesses were saying, and uh, Lieutenant Colonel Vindman. Uh, he's coming up to be another very interesting character. Matter of fact, he has a twin brother, I found out, that has his office directly, of course, Vinden, the lieutenant colonels, uh, in the White House. They're both lieutenant colonels, and they both serve you know, in the White House. Uh, they both came over from Ukraine as refugees at the age of three. And then we find out Lieutenant Colonel Vidman, when all this was going down with the phone call and everything else, was offered a job by the Ukrainian prime minister to be you know, the, the defense secretary of the Ukraine. Is that not three another times. attempt at bribery? Three times, three yes. Times. It's three Yes, yes. The whole thing stinks to high heaven. It's, it is a travesty. It is a, an attempted coup 
that is dressed up to look like a legitimate impeachment trial or impeachment inquiry. It's nothing to do with that. It is, it is an attempt to, to get rid of the guy who is, in fact, draining the swamp. And the swamp is fighting back. And believe me, they are powerful, as we are, as we are witnessing. But again, it's, it's, such and, a, it's such a shame because it's not just against Trump. It's against America. That's the, the victim here is, you know, there are more, there's more than one victim. The president has been victimized, and so is the country. And it gets even worse when you think that Pelosi and Schiff both had fundraisers that were attended by Ukrainian arms dealer Igor Pasternik. Of course, we have Cool Mike uh, who came back to ask the question. Do you want to ask yours first or let Cool Mike ask it? Cool Mike, go ahead. Oh, can you guys hear me well okay? Oh, yes. I I hear you. Okay, great. uh, Congressman, it's great to have you. I was a big uh, fan of yours when you ran for president. I don't remember oh, what debate you, it was. I don't remember what debate it was, but somebody posed the question and you responded, "I'd be looking for Jack Bauer if I were no, president." Right. Um, <laughs> that was. I think it was the first debate, and and I was asked. Yes, you're absolutely right. It was. I'm so glad somebody actually got it. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I got uh, it. I mean, yeah, yeah, well, the, the, uh, and, and it it really, it was because of John McCain, who's such, I, I, you know, I don't want to speak ill of the dead, but oh my gosh, what a nasty person he really was. Um, and he was the one who the question came, here was the question. It was, there's a three, it says, uh, here's the hypothetical said, um, three, Bombs have gone off in the United States, and the fourth one is going to be the big one, and it's about to, and we think we have somebody in custody who knows where and when and who's going to do it. Would you waterboard to get the information? And, of course, it goes to John McCain first, and and he says, no, absolutely not. It's not an American thing to do, blah, 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 and you can't get good information through torture. And I'm thinking – I'm on the event. I'm the last one, and I'm thinking, oh my goodness, this is going to be so hard because he's the only guy up there that's even been in the military. You know, none of the rest, eight of us, had even served, let alone been been tortured or anything. And so, what are you going to say when the when the, the the one guy says no? And I'm thinking, I read your book, John. I read your book, and you said that you know you were so devastated by the fact that you actually made tapes for the Vietnamese you 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 did com- you know essentially commercials for and and did it because of of uh, torture what do you mean you can't get anything or can't get good information you most certainly can and but i'm thinking all this right and as he's saying no 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 well if he says no everybody else on stage goes no oh no absolutely not can't do it Imp- so I'm the last one and i said as you i said let me get this straight Three bombs have gone off. Fourth one's about to. We have somebody who knows, knows where, when, and who. And you want to know if I'd waterboard? I said, hell, I'm looking for Jack Bauer. And and there was this little tittering in the audience. Somebody laughed. A few people laughed. But months after, months after, we were in another debate. And he says, and then the question comes up about something absolutely, you know, nothing to do with national security or it was like, you know, what are you going to do about education or something like that? And 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 all of a sudden, 
McCain goes, well, I could be flippant and say I'll get Jack Bauer to handle this. <laughs> because he had burned this issue. You know what I mean? He had just been burning about it for whatever, however long it was. And I thought, what you know, that guy really and truly, he was a, a piece of work. And, and I'm glad that he never was, um, that he didn't get elected, even though I had to hold my nose and vote for him. <laughs> yeah, Curtis, I go ahead. That, you know, with all due respect, we, I think we all res- we love our veterans here. There's no doubt. Southern Sense honors uh, those who have fallen. But he clearly was a douchebag, and he is an asshole, yes, period. I, I, I mean, what, yes. what do we say uh, about, uh, uh, you know, how do you address the fact that, yes, he, he did suffer in the, in the war. We know that. But he clearly said he did those videos because he was tortured. Right. And you would. I'm telling you, I have given many, many speeches, and and many times his name has come up, and many times I've told people what I thought of of him. And on more than one occasion, someone will come up to me, has come up to me, and said, "I served with John Mc. I was in in Vietnam. I was in Hanoi Hilton with him." And I'm always thinking I'm going to get into a, a fist fight with this for, for what I had said. And inevitably, they have said to me, he's the biggest creep. I hate, I, you know, they go on and on and on <laughs> about how much they really despised him. And, and they, were, they served with him. They were there. But, you know, I mean, he got special treatment because of his dad being, you know, it was. And again, you know, he was he was in the military. He served. So God bless him for that. But but don't then portray yourself as this Holy Joe who, who has nothing, you know, you should say, yes, yes. It, you know what? It is a horrible thing. And I, I succumb to it and you, it can't happen. And so if this nation's security is at risk, if we're talking about, you know, potentially hundreds of thousands, millions of people being killed, and you're asking me if I'm going to waterboard, I'm going to, you know, like I say, Jack Bauer, I liked him because the, you know, in 24, he'd always, he'd have somebody in front of him that he's trying to get some information from and he'd go, tell me, the, tell me. And, and the guy would go, no, and he'd say, shoot him in the knee. And then he said, no, no, yeah, shoot him in the other knee. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty soon the guy would talk. <laughs> I miss that show. <laughs> I really do. Curtis, go ahead with your question. Yeah. Well, before I get to my question, I, I will say that what I've heard about John McCain when he was in the Hanoi Hilton was that uh, one reason why he declined to come home early because it had been arranged through his father, an admiral, right. is because right. he knew that if he came home early, the others would know that he talked. It's almost like like out there in prison, you know. You go in yeah. on some heavy charges and you get out too early, your friends are not going to trust you out there on the street because they're going to, they're going to conclude that for you to get out so early, you must have talked. You must have cooperated. Yeah. So. They yeah. they make a hero out of John McCain because he, you know, declined to come home early. But you have to look at the whole picture and 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 see what his motivation was. Now that's, to my that's question. That's exactly right. <laughs> With the um, Inspector General report coming out and um, who they call now Bull Durham, his investigation is going to probably be. Uh, concluding sometime in December, do you think that will ever overshadow this um, 
this kangaroo impeachment. And yeah. I know the uh, the, the left wing yeah. is not going to promote anything that the IG puts out there, or they're going to minimize That's it. Right. But do you think That's it's right. going to be so powerful that they cannot minimize it? No, I think it will be powerful. I think in any other circumstance, in any other in any other environment, um, in a country that was not beset by a a media that had turned from journalist to advocate. Um, it, it, that then it would be uh, not only powerful, but it would be a game changer. But we do not have the luxury of, of, of living in a country anymore where you have two political parties vying for the vote of the people and, and pre- presenting information and having it scrutinized by the people through the eyes of the press, because, of course, that's where 90% of us get information. And so that's what the press was supposed to serve as, the, the, the general media, as the, the watchdog of government and give you, you know, the information you need on, 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 on both sides in order to make a, a good decision. We don't have that. It's horrible to say, but we don't have it anymore. The media has actually amazingly even admitted publisher of the Washington Post, New York Times have admitted their task is not to inform. It is to um, advance an idea, a set of an agenda. It is to advocate. That's the word they used. Advocate. No. Where did this come from? What journalist school, journalist school ever taught that that was the purpose of journalism to be an advocate. Uh, no, maybe on your, on your, uh, of course, opinion page, but that's gone, cut completely and totally gone. As a result, I do not know how you can overcome that huge obstacle. You identified it. You talked about what would happen and how they would deal with it. And, and so um, I don't have great hope that it will be the kind of, of influence on the American public that it should be. Um, I hope, I pray, but I, I, I don't think it'll ever allow to be. I mean, you know, we have you guys, we have talk radio, thank goodness, or else, you know, you, you'd wonder where Trump's numbers would be right now. Can you imagine they're still going up under all of, as a, even after all of this? And it's only because of alternative media. That's the only reason, because that's the only way people get true good information and so we can hope that you know um everybody plays their appropriate role in the alternative media and they will so some of it will get out but i don't think enough to make a a great difference i hope i'm wrong i hope you have me back on later and i can say man was i wrong did that ever work to our you know advantage but i just i don't see it right now why so many republicans against trump what, what, what did you say? Oh, why are so many Republicans uh, against Trump? Be- yeah, well, it's like literally, all, literally they're doing everything to, to defeat him. Yeah. Well, first of all, you have to understand that when we talk about the swamp, we're not talking about just Democrats. Right? The swamp is made up of, of people who are embedded into the um, establishment. And they are ju- there are many, many Republicans who fit that bill perfectly. Um, they, you know, 
if and look at the issue of immigration. Um, a lot of their bread is being buttered by companies, uh, contributions, uh, uh, support from individuals and companies that that take advantage of massive illegal and legal immigration of low-skilled, low-wage workers. Well, when somebody comes along and threatens your rice bowl like that, then you fight back, and that's why. I'm telling you, their rice bowl is being threatened and in many ways, and also they are part of the establishment. They know how to run Washington. Where does this guy come from? You know, he doesn't know beans from apple butter, and he's brusque, and he's whatever, and so um, they they strike out against him. But um, all I can do is hope that eventually, you know, they get washed out with the rest of the fetid water in that swamp. Well, you know, what I've been noticing is that people have been turning off stations such like CNN, MSNBC. The ratings are really starting to tank. It's gotten to the point where the story is not what's going on in the news the story is those that are, are the anchors on those stations. They made the story about themselves. They can puff up the ratings, get a higher paycheck. It's all about them. If you notice that on CNN, Cuomo tried that trick with the phone when Holmes said that he could overhear the conversation. So he calls his mom on air, and that went over real well. They pull stunts like that <laughs> to make the story about them. And so now yeah. they are turning to alternative media such as this, and more people are starting to turn over to uh, one news network, uh, The Blaze. Uh, and people are still turning on to Fox News, but, you know, they brought on Donna Brazil and a couple of others, but got rid of Chef Smith. Right, um, right. And they're, they're looking for someone to tell them the truth. And I'm not a journalist. You know, I'm just a retired small business owner, manager, retired cop, that I'll do my homework. I'll look for the alternative news. I'll dig up the stories, and I'll I'll double-check them and triple-check them for facts. And then I bring on people like you, people like Burgess Owens, people like Bruce Lavelle that was just on. And we've got two women running for great seats, a, a Kim Clackett going for um, uh, Elijah Cummings' seat. We're getting the word out, and God willing, we will get these people elected. Well, that's it. I, I, in, uh, there are stars appearing that I had never even heard of, uh, and I am so glad. I am so glad that we've got people on that committee that are that have the guts and the intelligence to do what they've been doing, Jim Jordan, et cetera, all of the, that young lady. I mean, there are four or five that, as I say, I, I'm surprised because I, I didn't know them. I didn't know what they were all about. But, man, have they jumped to the forefront. So the fact is that even if, the, you know, to the extent that there's anyone who's got absolutely nothing else to do in their lives and are trying to um, figure out what they can do about uh, the fact that, that they can't sleep at night, so they tape the, the, the hearing. And, I mean, it, it's so boring sometimes. It's just impossible that, to con, consider that, that anybody is actually still watching. But to the extent that they are, they're seeing some pretty good um, stuff on there from the Republicans, and they are fighting. And that, this is almost – this is a new thing. I mean, I, I was worried that they'd all go 
with their tail between their legs and and, and you know just put up a a, a sort of a, a you know fake defense. Um, but golly, I have really been impressed with a few of them, and and so there's there is something to think about when you when you realize what he has undergone for three years actually, and certainly during the course of this sham called an investigation and yet his numbers are going up they've gone up every day in real clear politics the amalgamation of all the polls they have gone up every single day now not you know by huge numbers but the people saying uh, don't want it no i don't believe in the that we ought to impeach that's gone up dramatically as like uh, something like 15 percent of the uh, unaffiliates have changed their position on that and are against it. Uh, so you, there is something happening, and it does give me hope. Does give me hope. It should give us all hope that, uh, that all is not lost. You know what I do wonder though? I do wonder because I don't know, guys, how long we have, but I have an, another one of these in just a few minutes. So, but I just wonder what are we going to do? What happens after Trump? Even that you know he's going to get reelected. I pray to God. But what happens after Trump? Who do, do we, we don't have a bench. <laughs> There's no one out there like Trump. How do we save this republic from the people who will be there forever, the, the bureaucrats, the swamp itself that will come back in? You know, he, he's the dyke that's holding back and pumping out the swamp. But what happens when he's gone? I, I, you know, I don't know. It just uh, scares me. Well, I, I think it's a possibility Mike Pence would step in because once Trump has set the stage, it'd be a matter for now yeah. Mike Pence to maintain the stage. And he's got such a calm yeah. demeanor. In contrast to Trump, I think a lot of people will go, all right, Pence, he's calm, he's measured, and we think that uh, he'll be someone to help us keep this republic. And I think Pence would be yeah. the person to step in. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. I hope so, and um, your your lips to God's ears, and uh, because we do have to pray for this country, I think, and for the president. I, I say it over and over, but I do believe prayers are important. I believe the country was founded as a result of, of in, divine, in, I will say, intervention, uh, and and I believe he, Trump came to us when he did because of the need for somebody like him, and. So I, I, I really just hope people do when they – and people always say, well, what can I do? I have nothing. I don't have any money. I don't you – know, all I can do is vote. No, that's not all you can do. Anybody can get down on their knees and say a prayer for the country and then for the president and for his safety and health. Well, that's a huge amen. I know you only have just a few minutes left because everyone's so wrapped up in the impeachment. You know, you work with um, – we build the wall, Inc. And while this is all going on, very quietly, 74 miles of water wall have been completed and 158 or more under construction. Uh, uh, illegal crossings are going down. They've rounded up more uh, people that are coming over as family units, arresting them and sending them back. There are now more stops where we're stopping more drugs, more human smuggling, and weapons coming across the border no one's talking about that how he's making the country hmm. safer through the borders because everyone else is watching what's going on with a uh, uh, shifty shift right and the only people that are really paying attention 
frankly, are people who are trying to stop them um, because they know that the the most um, important tactic, the, the most powerful tactic that the left has in their in their strategy to thoroughly transform America is to in is to keep a huge number of people coming into this country who are low skill, low wage, and will always be an underclass and always demanding more from government. That is their key. That's the the plan for the future. And it has been that way for a long time. And it's not just a, a hope to overturn the American Republic. It's a hope to overturn Judeo-Christian governments all over the the world. When I say Judeo-Christian, I mean governments that have developed out of a Western tradition uh, that was based on Judeo-Christian principles and have and now they are under attack everywhere. Western Europe, of course, and what's the major, absolute, the, the biggest arrow in their quiver is immigration, massive immigration of people who don't assimilate and who want to change and, and, and who will demand more and more from government. You know, the oldest adage, political adage, I don't know who ever said it, but I've used it a thousand times because it's so true. It, when, when you rob Peter to pay Paul, you can always count on Paul's vote. And, and, and I will tell you <laughs> that that is, the absolutely, that is absolutely accurate, and it is what, they, it, what keeps them in power. And, what, and they, in order to maintain that power, they need massive immigration. That is really another reason Trump is facing this impeachment. It's because he threatens that one strategy or that one tactic in that strategy, because I tell you, it is one of the most important ones for them in the, in the world. I mean, it's not just here. Of course, look what you can look what happened is happening in Western Europe. You recognize this is a worldwide phenomenon. And so some person like Trump, who's actually trying to reverse this. Oh, man, this guy's in for it. So yeah. anyway, yes, but good things are happening. Absolutely, because Ilian Omar is proposing the Homes for All Act that would be $1 trillion to allow undocumented illegal aliens to have housing. Tom Tancredo, you are a a true patriot, and God bless you for the hard work you do. People can find you at webuildthewalls.us, and we'll be talking. We'll definitely have you back on as often as you're willing to come. It's a deal, and, and have a great Thanksgiving and a wonderful holiday to everybody, please. You too. Take care. Tom Tancredo, oh, check oh. him out. we got coming up over here, Nicole, and I know, Nicole, I'm going to butcher your last name. I was practicing it last night, and I'm still going to stutter it. Miliotakis, did I say that correctly? Yes, uh, Nicole Miliotakis, thank you. Oh, it is a pleasure having you on. You are running for the uh, New York District 11 seat for Congress, currently hold, held by Max Ross. And it was the first time in quite a long time that seat went to a Democrat, uh, which was amazing because Staten Island is solidly red. Yeah, for, for those of you that don't know the uh, geographic area here, the district is uh, all of Staten Island and then southwest Brooklyn, which is the neighborhoods of uh, Bay Ridge, Diker Heights, Bensonhurst, 
uh, and some of Graves End as well. Um, and it has been historically a Republican seat going back to 1981, uh, and uh, we've only lost it once, and that was about a decade ago for one term. Uh, and then now in this uh, last election, uh, November of 2018, when uh, Congressman uh, Dan Donovan lost it uh, to Max Rose. So it's a really um, unique opportunity for us to take back a seat uh, and it's actually one of the most critical seats in the nation. It's certainly uh, a required win for Republicans if we are to take back the House in 2020. Well, you know, I was I was reading up on you, and God bless you for the hard stuff that you were doing. You actually went and ran against de Blasio and surprisingly garnered a large number of votes, but unfortunately you did not unseat him. And thank you for doing that. So now you've got the name recognition People in New York know you, so this is helping your campaign here, isn't it? It sure is. Look, we we um we got 67 percent of the vote in uh, the mayor's race in this congressional district that I'm running in, um, and so we won both sides of the bridge before. I'm currently a state legislator representing both Staten Island and Brooklyn, uh, the New York State Legislature, and I've also been that voice of reason for New York City, uh, the voice of opposition against Bill De Blasio, against Alexandria Ocasio Cortez. And I think for you know your listeners, they should care about this, number one, because it is a must-win for Republicans to take back the House. Um, the president needs a House of Representatives that he can work with. We have to stop the nonsense and actually deliver what the American people want. And, and, and quite frankly, everything that's going down in Washington right now um, and this impeachment witch hunt, you know, it, it does nothing to lower your taxes. It does nothing to improve your commute. Uh, it does nothing to secure our borders. It does nothing to provide you uh, better health care. And um, I think that that's not what, uh, unfortunately, this is not the direction that people want uh, Congress to be going in. And so I think that this is a must win for us to take back the House. Uh, but also people should care because this is the ground zero for the socialist movement. You know, here we have Bill de Blasio. We have Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. I see it because I'm here in New York City, how she is beginning to challenge other members of Congress, other um, state legislators, and picking off seats to build that democratic socialist coalition. Uh, and so the spread of socialism is right here in New York City, which is why she needs uh, a counterbalance. And I would be that voice, uh, that counter voice for her in, in New York City. Um, you know, we're both women, both Hispanic, both um, within a, a decade of each other in terms of years. Um, and I think that, you know, I'm from the southernmost part of the city of New York, and she's from the northernmost part. Uh, and certainly I would be a good uh, person to push back. Uh, and, and, and for those of you that don't know my story, I am the daughter of a Cuban refugee, and I think I'm the appropriate person to be pushing back because my family, millions of immigrants across our country, fled the very policies that Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is trying to implement here in the United States, and she must be stopped. Well, you know, I got to say that I, ha I have some friends that were Cuban uh, immigrants, also refugees from communist Cuba, and uh, my stepson, my uh, my husband's son, uh, is Cuban American, also. So, you know, I, I understand their that story. And you wrote a very, very wonderful article about it, you know, explaining why your mom helped instill certain values and teach you about socialism and communism. And she gave you the courage to run for office, 
when everyone thought, well, you're a kid out of nowhere. You're too young to know anything. So what would you know? And what could you possibly do? Well, you know, it's interesting. My mother first encouraged me to get involved in politics when I was in high school. And she wanted me to be involved in something productive. But she also felt very strongly about being able to elect your own leaders here in the United States, and that's what makes our country so special, is is the, is the democratic process we have. Um, and so she she brought me down to uh, volunteer for a race of a local city council member who was running for Congress, and he eventually did become uh, win that election and become the congressperson. You know, that's the seat that I'm running for now, um, more than 20 years later. So it's kind of brought me full circle in a sense. Um, but my mother had planted that seed. Um, and I've always, I've always appreciated everything that this country offers, you know, because uh, I, I see it firsthand how my cousins live in Cuba, how uh, the, the suffering that they endure, where they have to work uh, tirelessly and earn ten dollars a month. They don't have the ability to buy things, um, and they have, they need rely on us, the American family, to be able to send them resources to just buy basic things. Um, and, you know, I've always said that socialism is communism light. Uh, that's what it is. And so if you look at Cuba, you look at Venezuela, you look at uh, a lot of the countries in South America that have become under socialist rule, um, there's a reason why people are fleeing those countries and trying to come here. Uh, and so we shouldn't be looking to implement those policies that they're fleeing here in the United States of America, which is what I think Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and the Socialist Squad and others are trying to do, but the worst part of it is that the Democrats, like my opponent, Max Rose, they're, they're not brave enough to stand up to them. So they kind of cave and just go along with the gang. And that's why we need strong Republicans who are willing to fight back. And as you mentioned, I took on Bill de Blasio. Uh, I'm not afraid of a fight. I'm, I'm willing to advocate and, and take on uh, very uh, powerful people. Uh, on behalf of my constituents, what I've done for the last nine years in the Assembly. Uh, and, and if people want to get involved and learn more about my campaign, um, they should go visit my website at NicoleForNY.com. It's, uh, you know, the different ways to get involved. You, you know people that live in Staten Island and Brooklyn, share the link with them, urge them to vote for me. They can volunteer. Um, anyone, somebody who's across the country maybe can't volunteer, but they can donate. There's different ways to get involved, and I urge people to do that at NicoleForNY.com. Well, I've got to tell you, de Blasio, when he was running for president, came down here to South Carolina, and uh, the uh, PBA in New York City put out a call for those of us, you know, throughout South Carolina, where he, wherever he shows up, show up and protest. <laughs> so yeah. I ended up showing up uh, up in Orangeburg, and the other cop that showed up came out of the same command. <laughs> when I was retiring, he was coming in. <laughs> So we were out there to challenge them. They weren't too happy to see us there. <laughs> yeah, well, thank you for your service. We I our... the, uh, yeah, thank you for your service to the city. Um, and, and, you know, police officers here are very right to be upset with this mayor. First of all, they've been working without a contract. Number two, uh, he, his anti-police rhetoric, quite frankly, has put them in harm's way. Um, and also we have bail reform laws and other laws that are taking place that are making their job much more difficult. Uh, we have a bail a reform law that's taken effect in January in which 90% of the arrested population will be released back onto the street, including people that have committed crimes like uh, criminally negligent homicide, stalking, strangulation, assault on a child, uh, selling drugs even on school grounds, um, just just really bad, heinous crimes that you know you, you would not think that any 
you know, government's first responsibility is to keep us safe, right? And so you would never think that they would say, we're going to re- release these individuals back on the street so they could return to court on their own recognizance. We're not even going to consider their criminal history. They could have a dozen, two dozen, three dozen convictions. We're not going to consider whether they pose a threat to public safety. They're just going to just blanket 90% of uh, arrested population uh, will just be released back onto the street. Uh, and it's really quite outrageous. I've started a petition, again, at my website, NicoleFriendWide.com. People can sign on, uh, and they could learn more about the crimes. I've listed all the crimes, or all the, actually the, the worst crimes uh, that are involved in this law um, on my website, so people can get a real sense of what's happening here in New York. There's a competition to be the most liberal, regressive city uh, in the country, and it's unfortunate. And, that, and that's why my uh, election is so important, I think, Hundreds of thousands of people don't believe in this in New York, and they need a voice. And I, I'm happy to fill that void and be one of the voices uh, who are against this law and trying to get it changed before it goes into effect in in January. I mean, we've had the law enforcement community, every police union, editorial boards, various prosecutors have come out, including Democratic ones, uh, saying that this goes way too far. Our state attorney general says that it is going to, you know, there's going to be issues with the implementation. Uh, and, uh, you know, these are all things that should be addressed. And um, I, you know, I want people to send a message to Governor Cuomo, and they could do that uh, by signing my petition at NicoleForNY.com. Well, you know, what I found amazing about that, that reform occurs, let me just get this in for a second, because what you didn't mention is that because they're no longer going to have to worry about bail, paying bail, and then being responsible to show up in court, to bribe them to make sure they show up in court, and I don't see how this is going to ever work, they're going to get Met tickets, they're going to get movie tickets, they're going to get gift cards, so they're going to be bribed with these little gift cards in hope that instead of skipping town going, oh, you bunch of stupid idiots, you're paying me to get out of jail. No, no, no. We're going to bribe you to show up at court, and that's going to really work. It it really is unbelievable, and I'm sure your listeners are saying, wait, what? What are they doing? And uh, you know what? It's it's shocking. That, That is Mayor de Blasio's plan to get people to show up at court, yes, to give them, incentivize them uh, with, with Mets tickets, gift cards, movie passes. Um, and, and the only, you know, it's, what's crazy about it is you think about the, if they don't comply, they don't return back to court. Now you're putting law enforcement more at risk because now they have to find a, get a warrant and, and search for these individuals um, and, and, and find them. And that's putting law enforcement more at risk. And so I do feel for the men and women uh, in our NYPD, in the warrant squad um, who are going to have to deal with this nonsense uh, and, 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 of course, use their resources, limited resources that they need to use to protect our city to now go chase down criminals who aren't showing up in court. Well, I'm just curious because I know the New York State tax dollars, New York City tax dollars, will go into funding this program, but would any federal dollars be affected into this program? Would he be using federal dollars in taking care of these released prisoners? Uh, and whether or not we can yank those federal tax dollars from de Blasio maybe to stop the program? Well, I think, you know, look, just like the sanctuary policy, uh, city policy, um, you know, the federal government has tried to strip uh, funds and, and gets caught up and uh, held up in court and, and challenged. And so it's yet to be seen what ramifications there will be and, and what role the federal government can 
play in helping the people of New York City who you know, don't want people with multiple convictions just released back onto their streets. Um, and, 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 and really, when you think about it, considering we are a sanctuary city, you know, you're going to be releasing people that potentially have warrants out, as they're doing now, by the way, uh, or, or detain requests out for them. Uh, and our city, again, is going to be doing all it can to uh, harbor criminals and um, protect, protect them, put, the, put their uh, protection over the protection of the public and, and the rights of our victims. Curtis, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to ask how that sanctuary city status was working out for New York. But um, when you become a congresswoman, what is it that you can do to um, rid New York of that status? Well, look, I, I think there are attempts to already do that and, and, and work with stripping um, funding. I think that a lot of these attempts get they get caught they get held up in court and that's one of the major uh problems here you know it's it's similar to um you know the mayor's attempts to bring heroin injection centers to the city of new york uh, i've written to the u.s attorney general to try to stop that and get them to intervene as well to to prohibit him from moving forward we've had some success actually since i've done that the mayor has sort of um has been very quiet about his uh, heroin injection center proposal. So we're hoping that maybe we were able to stop it with the threat that the U.S. Attorney General's office was going to get involved. Quite frankly, you know, I don't know why the U.S. Attorney General and others um, don't look at these mayors who are putting the public at risk more closely. I mean, there, there's certainly something here. I mean, the government's first responsibility is to keep us uh, safe, but um, – they're not doing that right now, and I think that they have a responsibility to do that. And I see some pieces of federal legislation um, ho- trying to hold these sanctuary uh, mayors responsible, um, you know, and I think that they should try to proceed with passing those types of bills um, to try to get them to, to stop the nonsense. Um, you know, the, the, and you read about it all the time in the in the papers, but this is a major issue going across America. I think we should exhaust every option possible to both – punish uh, those those leaders in terms of either criminally or civilly um, and, and strip funds from uh, certain programs. But what we don't want to do, obviously, is hurt the law enforcement. Sometimes if you, you try to do these things, it actually hurts the very law enforcement that's trying to keep us safe, but they have their hands tied. Well, you know, um Throughout the show, I've been talking about the, the editorial you wrote about uh, Shifty Shift and the money that he's been hauling in. Um, you wrote a marvelous, marvelous article that was up in Newsmax called Shift Money Will Taint the House Impeachment Vote. And when I read it and read the amount of money, the $6 million and the 44 members of Congress he's been donating to, my head exploded. Well, um, yeah, and people can – I tweeted it, and I put it on my Facebook page so people could read it there. It's a it's an op-ed that I wrote in Newsmax, um, and my opponent, um, as well as 43 other members of the House uh, Democratic Caucus, uh, mostly freshman Democrats, um, took $2,000 from Adam Schiff in uh, June before he started his impeachment uh, witch hunt, and, and now, you know, they've, they've voted for – uh, the inquiry, and they will most likely vote for the impeachment at the end of the day. And what's interesting about this is if you if you really put it into context here, you know Adam Schiff is serving as the prosecutor, right? 
uh, and and the members of Congress are the grand jurors, and they're going to vote to impeach or indict it would be the term in a, in a grand jury um and so where else would you where else would it be appropriate for the prosecutor to give this type of monetary donations to the grand jurors uh certainly wouldn't be appropriate in in, in civil government uh and why so why would it be appropriate in the halls of congress and so i think it is a conflict of interest i've called on my opponent to give the money back um but I think it's a discussion that needs to be had here. Um, you know, my opponent was against the impeachment. Uh, he wrote a big op-ed saying he was against it. And then, I don't know, a week later, he flipped and caved to the socialist group after he found out he was potentially going to get a primary. Um, and he voted, he made a big show, an announcement saying that he's now for the impeachment. Um, and so he lost a lot of points and a lot of integrity with the public because he just – Within one week after finding out he was potentially going to get a socialist uh, primary, he just flipped just like that. It was unbelievable, really. Uh, within 24 hours, actually, he flipped. Um, and so, you know, they're caving uh, to AOC, to Nancy Pelosi, and they're all falling in line. That's why you need, we need to take back the House of Representatives. Um, but I think this is an important point that should be talked about. You know, Adam Schiff uh, giving money to the other members who are going to be voting on impeachment um, is a conflict of interest, and they should give the money back. Absolutely. Now, you had mentioned Sanctuary City, New York City being being one, but you've got two of the mod squad, AOC, teaming up with Ilian Omar on finding housing for illegal aliens. Uh, because right now, federal money cannot be used to house an illegal alien. But Ilian Omar wants to put through her her new housing act that's going to cost $1 trillion to work in partnership with AOC's plan, the Green Plan. And our, Trump is working hard to secure America and they're doing everything they can to make us even less secure. Yeah, How would you stop this if you were there in Congress? Oh, certainly. Uh, I, I think people can count on me to, to fight back. Uh, what I would say quite simply is, you know, go to AOC's district. Look how many homeless people we have, not only in our district, but across the entire city of New York, about 60,000 individuals um, who are homeless uh, and need and need support. They need help. Um, and, and we're not we're not addressing that very issue. And I think what many uh, rational Americans would say is, how can you even consider doing something like this when we have so many people in our own cities, in our own country, who are American citizens who are homeless and in need of shelter? Um, and so I think it's important to put into into context uh, to her and 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 really push back on this stuff. I mean, I mean th these people they're out to destroy America from the inside. There's no doubt about it. That AOC, Ilan Omar, they don't love this country. They are trying to destroy it from within, as Abraham Lincoln warned us, uh, America would be destroyed from within, not from an outside um, attack. Um, this socialist movement is very scary. I see it. I see it formating, uh, the formation of it. Because um, if anybody reads the, uh, if somebody should go, anyone's listening should really Google the, the steps it takes to transform from a democracy 
to socialism. And there is a handbook out there. You can just find it online, and you will see right where we are in the middle of that process. Um, it's quite clear and evident. Um, and so, you know, that's something that's real. It's a real threat, um, and we need to fight back. We have to have members of Congress and others who are willing to do that. You know, I think this impeachment, too, is the one big distraction um, so they can try to, you know, pass through their agenda. They want to obviously eliminate the president because he's been very strong and forceful in uh, his agenda, and he's been sticking to that, and um, they don't like it because, you know, he's dismantling their plans. Um, but he needs help, right? And, and that's what this is all about. It's so important. Th this election next year is truly about whether we are going to continue to be a nation uh, of opportunity. We're going to continue to offer the American dream, uh, or are we going to move down a path of socialism? Um, and I could tell you as the daughter of a Cuban refugee, we do not want the latter, um, but we need to get out there and, and fight for the, the future of this country. And that you have been doing in your as assemblywoman in New York representing Staten Island and South Brooklyn, um, you also went head-to-head -head with de Blasio going on to Tucker Carlson uh, to fight him on, on what he's been doing to the education system. You know, every parent should have the choice on how their child is educated and what and where they're educated. But he's removing that, and he's removing any chance of anyone with the special talents and skills to get, be nurtured, to become an even better productive member of our society. No, just tear everything down, put everyone down to the same low level. Yep. And this is the problem with our education system nationwide. We're not all the same. One size does not fit all. Well, if I, if I if I could interject and say, actually, we've been we've been successful in pushing back. Uh, the mayor had uh, a couple of plans. One was to, like you said, reduce the standards of our specialized schools. These are schools that, you know, they they've um, produced Nobel uh, uh, winners in the past. I mean, these are really specialized schools that you know, our special curriculum for, for students that excel at a level that need, they need to be challenged at. Um, and he wants to dismantle that um, in the name of, you know, because it's a social experiment and in the name of social justice, he wants to reduce those standards and he also wants to eliminate our gifted and talented schools. And I said, you know what, the real social experiment is when all of our students can graduate and can do actual uh, work that would, you know, be able to perform in the real world. That That is when we really achieve social justice, not to tear down our schools, eliminate our gifted and talented programs. Um, I'm, I'm happy that we pushed back and we were actually successful in getting those plans taken off the table um, because it, it's, it's really critical. I mean, I, I think that that's part of the socialist handbook as well, right, is to uh, reduce the standards, make sure people are relying on government. Um, and, I, I you know, th these are all... Um, it's all part of that socialist handbook that we need to all familiarize ourselves with so we know how and when to fight back. Um, but I, I, I'm, I'm happy to say that we were successful in preserving uh, these programs for these students in the city of New York. Um, there are other issues, uh, you know, getting rid of school discipline, um, really just unlimited warning cards now students get. They don't get suspended anymore. Um, they can disrespect their teachers, their principals, bring in drugs, bring in you know, weapons, and you know, they get a slap on the wrist. There's no real discipline, no suspension, um, and, it's, and, and you see the unruliness. Now you have these young people um, who, who feel that they can just dis be disrespectful 
uh, and not not respectful members of society. And I think that's a major issue that we're facing as a community. Um, but you know, we 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 take each battle as they come. Uh, we win some. Uh, you know, I'm very outnumbered here. I'm I'm one of the only Republicans in the city of New York. There's only a handful of us. Uh, and so it's really me versus a much larger um, opposition, and it, it's hard sometimes to to win battles. We don't have the votes to do so anyway. Uh, the only way we really win them is by embarrassing them uh, and exposing what they're doing in the hopes that uh, we can get them to backtrack or drop their plans. Um, if I could just give one, I know we're running out of time, but I could just give one example of how somebody like me in the minority was able to fight back and, and, and really, I think, deliver a strong victory for the people of this state. At the end of the session last year, after they passed a law to guarantee uh, driver's license for illegal immigrants, they tried to sneak in a bill that would have automatically registered everyone who applied for a driver's license to vote. Um, even if they came with a foreign document to apply for that driver's license, they were still going to forward that paperwork onto the Department, the Board of Elections. Um, only if the person opted out on their own and said, I'm not eligible, would they have not forwarded that, forwarded that paperwork, or else everyone would have automatically been registered to vote. Um, it was a major flaw in that bill that I exposed uh, on the last day of session, and it had already passed the Senate, believe it or not. It came to the Assembly. I saw this bill, and I, I, I exposed what was in it and said how it was going to jeopardize the integrity of our elections by registering people who were uh, – providing foreign documentation to qualify for a driver's license to so now vote uh, unless they opted out in good faith. Um, and we were able to get that bill pulled from the agenda on the last day. And I thought that was very, very important. Um, of course, here in New York, we're always concerned about voter fraud. Uh, we don't have voter ID laws here. There's, I think, you know, a lot of concerns. Um, but that was, I think, one way um, that, you know, even though we're in the minority, and we lack the vote sometimes to stop bills from becoming law, how we can play an important role in checks and balances. Yeah, I do remember reading some uh, uh, immigrants coming up. I believe it was in Brentwood, um, where I had lived at one point. Um, that they, they were coming up saying, well, we're illegal, and we want to become legal citizens, but we voted. And that can be a, become a problem for regaining your citizenship. Yeah, there were there were some um, individuals who were not eligible and voted. Um, sure, look if 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 you if you are not a citizen and you you vote. Well, what's interesting about the bill that they tried to pass in Albany was, if you're a citizen, if you're not a citizen and you voted, there was like no penalty for it. It was almost as if they would just assume it was a mistake, which was sort of ridiculous. You know, there's there's no there was and if you were somebody who who didn't check off that box they would assume that you just overlooked it. So, I mean, it's just sort of just not only did it create a situation where people would have been automatically registered to vote, but then if they even voted, they wouldn't even be punished as would be required, right? Um, and it's just another example of how New York and some of these liberal states are going out of their way um, to protect those who are doing the wrong thing as opposed to rewarding those who do the right thing. And, um, you know, it's 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 quite shocking. It's disappointing. Um, you know, I don't know what they're thinking. And many, I can't. I, I have a hard time seeing their perspective. I try my best. 
Um, but we definitely need more voices of opposition to fight back. Um, and it's becoming increasingly difficult here, but I'm hoping we win back this congressional seat and then we also maintain my assembly seat with a Republican and then we'll have, that means one extra voice um, fighting for the right thing. So I urge again, uh, Nicole Friend, why is my website any support in terms of volunteers or donations or um, you know, sharing and spreading the word to your friends in New York would be really helpful and I appreciate it. Not only is it beneficial to this community and this state, but as I said, the entire country, uh, because this is a key seat to flipping back the House. Yeah, and you had gotten some great endorsements. Uh, you're on the NRCC's on the radar list of candidates uh, to receive whatever help to push your, your campaign forward. And when you go to Congress, you will be that counter voice from New York to cancel out AOC's crazy ideas and maybe slap some sense into her. I don't mean physically, <laughs> metaphorically. <laughs> yeah, well, well, I think, uh, as I said, I think um, uh, Liz, Jay- Liz Cheney came to my district to support me and uh, hosted a fundraiser for me, as did Congressman Dan Crenshaw. Uh, Elise Stefanik is fantastic, and she's a good friend of mine supporting me as well. Um, and, you know, we got to start a squad of our own, a counter squad, um, and I really uh, look forward to joining them and, and being a um, vocal uh, individual in this fight to preserve, you know, our country, our values, and the American dream. Well, instead of the mod squad, as we call them, we'll call you the mad squad, mothers advocating decency. <laughs> that- yeah, well, absolutely, the common sense squad. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it has been a pleasure, and good luck. We'll have you back and keep on humping your campaign. We've got to get people out there like you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And God bless for the Take hard care. work you do. Good luck. All right. Check her out, NicoleForNY.com. And welcoming back onto the show, a friend of ours who was trying to tell me that he was going to send me your book, which I had already read, welcoming back, Burgess Owens. Good afternoon, Burgess. How are you today? Annie, I'm doing great, Curtis. I'm looking forward to chatting with you guys. Yes, you are. Hey. Yeah, you were you were hinting at running, hinting at running, and finally you're doing it. Uh, you're running over in uh, Utah. Let me get my notes here. I was going to say Utah District Four. D- District Four. Yep. Yes. There's, there's my yes. Note. Yes. <clears throat> it's actually, and and just so you know, um, uh, I'm one of those guys that for for years have never ever thought about uh, politics as being a, a, a road for me. But uh what I, I've kinda of come to, I had an epiphany about four months ago that uh if we don't do something to get our house back from the left, our kids don't have a chance. So it's, it's a good chance here an opportunity for us here in this area you happen to be the the the, um, the number one one of the top seats uh that needs to be that needs to be won by both parties. So I feel I feel excited about having having a chance to be part of that process. So Looking forward to the to getting it done for sure. Oh, absolutely. And people can go to your website, BurgessOwens.com, and you got a little link on there, uh, Burgess for Congress, that they can click on and go to your campaign yes. website. So they can actually yes. learn more about you because you've got a very, very interesting uh, background. You know, like you, I am the uh, – child of a World War II veteran who was very proud of America, instilled in me American values, and you grew up the same way. But where I grew up in the North, you grew up in the segregated <laughs> South, and still attained, yes. uh, obtained greatness. Annie, I tell you, you, you nailed it. I think we were blessed. 
First of all, it's Burgess for the number four Utah.com. And I'll talk about what that four means in a minute. But but I think, Annie, that you and I were, and those of us, our generation, were very blessed because we came from a time where uh, our fathers had, had served our country. They left out this land to go out and, and fight for, for the principles, for the vision they saw in this country. And they came back and they taught those values. Um, uh, again, I, I grew up in, in, in the Deep South, Tallahassee, Florida, but during a time when the KKK, Jim Crow, segregation laws, but the community we lived in was so special, so um, exciting, uh, hopeful, uh, winning. Uh, it was a time when the black community at that time between the 40s and 60s led our country in the growth of middle class, the growth of men committed to uh, percentage of men committed to marriage, percentage of entrepreneurs, and percentage of uh, men matriculated in college. So we were living the American dream across the board. Not, not, not just Tallahassee, across the board. And, and it's time for us to not only teach our history, but we need to get our kids to understand that America is the greatest place in the history of mankind. If you, if you tie yourself into the principles and make it happen, it doesn't matter what, what culture you come from, what race, how you got here. If you understand the American way and adhere to that, you can succeed and be very successful and have a great legacy. So that's the message we have to make sure that our kids get, for sure. Well, you know, you, you're known for being a motivational uh, speaker for counseling people because you've got the second chance for youth that you've been working with to help, you know, kids that are incarcerated come out and be part of a prosperous uh, uh, society and you yes. know, take pride in who they are and what they are. Um, this is something that's missing. We need leadership like yours that's been there, that has walked the road and say, no one owes you anything. You owe it to yourself to achieve and help and strive. You know, Annie, here's, here's the thing that I, that I can't emphasize enough. I'm going to I'm going to give you the four tenets. Uh, these tenets are as a present to us uh, in 2008, 19, and 2020 from Booker T. Washington. Uh, those who don't know very much about his history. Uh, he impacted the black community like no others for the first 100 years after slavery. It's a history that we don't uh, know a lot about, and I don't have time to talk through it right now, but it's a history we should all be proud of. And the tenets that he left with us allows us to talk about the American way very simply without having to go through two-hour, ten-hour debates and understand not only that, that Republicans, independents, and Democrats can work together. If we understand these tenets, those are, that love our country, and we also can identify our enemy. The atheist, the socialist, the Marxist who hate these four tenets. So here's the four tenets. It's head, heart, hands, and home. Very simply, mm-hmm. head is education. We need to have that to, to think outside the box to, to drive our own future. Uh, heart is God. If we ever take God out of our society, out of our families, we have nothing but evil. And that's what we see across the board. The left has done a good job of having us fear talking about God. In uh, Hands is industry. If you give a man, a man or a woman an opportunity to produce and go out and work hard and sweat and, and feel like they're producing, that's how we gain our self-esteem. And it was taken away from us. We get dependency. We get, what again, what happens to the left uh, that gets people on welfare. And the last is family. Uh, home is family. This country is so great because we have, so because of our Judeo-Christian values, understood what family looks like, understand the different roles we have, and understand that as we team together, and that men do what they're supposed to do, provide, protect, lead, and women are allowed to do what, what they do. The strongest, the most impactful impact in our country is what womanhood has done for our nation. That's where empathy and love and unconditional love of Christ, all those things happen under the umbrella of womanhood. 
and, and our country is, it, it does so much better if they're allowed to do their thing. So as a team, we get together, and that family looks like something that gives safety to those kids and, and a vision and the kind of, again, the kind of brain we had growing up. So we need to get back to basics and realize that the left hates those four tenants, and they do everything they can to try to destroy it, and, and that's our enemy, not each other. Oh, absolutely. You know, cause... Go ahead, Curtis. Okay. Hey, buddy. Hey, buddy. Good talk to you, How's it going? <laughs> good, good, my friend. All right. Hey, you know, we have a lot of youth in the um, black community and <clears throat> other communities that look up to um, athletes and celebrities, <laughs> you know, these, these few fortunate Americans who had that opportunity to, to make it. Um, in America, but you you rarely hear them go back into the community and and talk up, you know, our free market system, you know, the yeah. very the very virtues that got them to where they are now. I mean, some years ago, Charles Barkley declared that he wasn't a role model for yeah. anybody. Uh, do you yeah. think it's important for athletes and celebrities to be positive role models? No question, but we also have to understand why we have why we're turning out uh, athletes like that. Um, you know, again, I grew up during a time where we were taught discipline, respect, love for our country, love for God. We have kids coming through right now that have been overrun by leftists, by the by the uh, the Marxist socialists. Going to those communities, you find out first of all they're not taught about how to edu- education that is not part of the agenda. Uh, they, they don't. They don't uh, uh, pledge to a flag. They don't say a prayer. Eighty-five percent. I would say seventy percent of our kids today don't have fathers. So if we have men that truly are cowards and, uh, and just don't know what they're supposed to do. And so you put all that together, you have young men who actually are very, very poor and become very, very rich. And what we're missing is that middle class. What I grew up in, and the reason why we have such a vibrant. Uh, uh, community, an exciting community, because we had such a large middle class. And that's where the empathy is. That's where the, the service is. We want to reach back and help other people because they know how it is to come out of that. So we have to recognize a couple things. We need to, first of all, get our colleges back, our school systems. The left understood a long time ago if they get in there, they get their tenure, they teach our kids how to be um, socialists. Then we all of a sudden get two thirds of our millennials thinking socialism, socialism is cool. I have no idea how evil that that ideology is. So we get our school system back. We need to be have the courage to tell our young men to man up. Uh, we have too many of our guys. We have to, to choose. Either we're going to be pitied or respected. You can't have both. We have too many of our young men thinking that it's, it's cool to be pitied, that, that to be victims, and that's, that has nothing to do with manhood. So that's the, another part of it. And then we need to make sure those are succeeding reach back and, 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 and recognize the message that they have to give to those that are following them. And that is luck, uh, success is not about luck. Success is about hard work, overcoming, you know, getting back up when you, you fall down and dreaming big over the overcoming obstacles. And anybody who understands how to do that can succeed in this country. But we have to have enough of us telling the story and not pointing to government as our answer and not apologizing for our success because that is the, the most demeaning thing to say that I'm lucky that I was successful versus I worked hard and let people know how to make that happen for themselves. Well, you know, on your webpage you have your principles, and there's two things I highlighted that I found was 
so important because it goes into exactly what you just said now. And you said that I believe that success is a matter of choice, not chance. Yeah. As we choose to control our attitude, we begin to, to control our actions. So if you're going to pity yourself, then you're not going to go anywhere. But if you take pride yes. in yourself and you want to strive and you have a positive attitude, you're going wherever you choose to go. And, and I, I tell you why I'm so excited about where I'm today. Uh, you know, I, I've been I've been a conservative all my life. I've been a Republican for the last 36 plus years. It is so exciting to see a black Americans who are literally springing away from the from the plantation and giving the message you just gave, Annie. Because it's, it's going to take it's going to take those of us who understand the process, and 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 we also have to make sure people know success is not easy. I mean, part of the success is, is having the courage and guts tenacity to get back up again when you fall flat. Because most that, that's what that's what the process is all about. So, but if we tell our, our our kids that, and that's really what should be the bottom line, we should be looking at what can we do to make sure our kids have a much better future, a much hopeful future, and we can only only do that by encouraging them to take part in the American way. So I, I'm I'm more encouraged now than ever. I'm seeing young people that are literally out there giving the message. They're they're leaving the plantation. They're wearing their their, their red MAGA hats because they understand that any friend of the black community is a friend of ours. And they realize that what our president is doing right now is, is giving tremendous amounts of opportunities, hope, life, income, um, ho- uh, opportunities for not only the black community but all communities. And that's what the American way should be about. So let's just continue to talk up our way and recognize that we have the other side who's going to continue to put it down. And we, that's going to be our, the people we have to really work up against. Again, it's not Democrat or Republican or Independent. It's not a – it's even though even – though, the leftists have have woven themselves into the Democratic Party. Those who are good Americans or are Democrats recognize who our enemy is, and that, let's not continue to vote for them and put them in office and give power. Well, that's another principle that I have highlighted because you point out it's not, it's we the people. And something the left has <laughs> the, the, the uncanny knack to do is to divide us into groups. It's the senior citizens versus the millennials. It's the black versus white, Latino, Hispanic. You know, they, they make you into, uh, they give you a name. It's like my friend Lloyd yeah. Marcus said, I'm an unhyphenated American. And it's funny because when I owned my business uh, back in the late 70s, early 80s, I had one of my favorite customers. He was a professor. Um, Professor Anderson. I always called him Mr. Anderson. I respected the fact that he attained that, that he became a a professor, and I respected him so much for that. He and his wonderful wife. And he sat down one day in my office, and he looked up to me, and he goes, how come you never said anything about me being a black professor? And I said, sir, I looked at you as a professor. And I respect you for obtaining that position. I was taught to honor people who got that so so far in life because you have the wisdom that I can learn from. That's how I see you as a professor. And he sat back and looked at me and was like, oh. And it's exactly like Lord Marcus says, the unhyphenated American. Take down those walls. Yeah. Well, keep in mind, uh, we go back again to to what made our country – the greatest in the history of mankind that's so unique that billions of people have attempted to come here and billions will continue to try to get here because we begin our, our nation with Judeo-Christian values. And those values very simply say that we look at each other the way God does, inside out, not outside in. And every single generation has gotten better and better at that. I, I can speak from a person who 50 years ago, 60 years ago, lived down south, 
and we're fighting because we, we're being integrated, we're integrating schools because of our color. Nowadays, we've got we've got so far past that, and it is, and and what we have to fight against is the the godless ideology of socialism and atheism that takes God out of it, and therefore we start looking at each other outside in versus inside out. We divide each other by height, by color, by culture, by religion. You name it. If there's a way to the, the leftists to divide us, they will find a way to do it. We have to fight against that. And, and there's something that my mom said that I'll never forget. I was 16 years old, going through this process of integrating school and kind of beginning to get angry because of other people, what they were doing. And she turned to me, was saying that patient, said, Virgie, just make sure you don't let someone else's problem become yours. She was telling me, don't let a racist help you make you become a racist. And we have to embrace that as a race. The left is trying to turn black people into racists. And I can promise you, there's nothing ever good with hating other people because of, of something, a exterior, something they can't control. If we ever go down that right route, we'll be the most unhappy, self-centered, uh, 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 non-progressing people in the world. We cannot let the leftists turn us into that. So let's look at meritocracy. Let's make sure that when people look at us, they see a value because we work hard. They want to be around us. They want our product. If we do that, we break down the walls of uh, of this of the racism that, that will always be there, by the way. Not, we can't eradicate it up, uh, all totally, but we can be a country that people, when they see most of us, feel very welcome, regardless of our differences. Absolutely. And we started on that road, but unfortunately, with the social programs and with the rise of the socialists in the Democratic Party, openly <laughs> signing up saying, I am a member of the Democratic Party, but I am a communist, you know, with that yeah. rise, the only way they could rise is if they cause class warfare. And we've got to stop that. And we've got to look at it exactly what it is, because they're using bigoted actions to divide us. And we've got to stay united as Americans. And this is what we're going to, to be going to Congress to do. That's the, and that's the goal, to take the values that, that we're talking about right now. And, and I'll say this. Uh, I grew up, again, in this remarkably positive environment that most people don't realize that black Americans were living during those days. Because, again, if you're in a segregated community and you have a lot of entrepreneurs, guess what happens? The money stays there. The leadership stays there. The hope stays I mean, everything stays within that community. And the very best of that community stays where that new community is. So just imagine if that's the case, how hopeful and and uh, uh, how much of a vision that young people have in that process. So we have to get back to that and recognize that our enemy is truly the leftist ideology of hate. And we can take those values that I grew up in in the 60s, the values I now live with here in the Utah Valley, and take that to D.C. and not let them uh, uh, export that, that anger that's now, now, now so present in D.C., then we as a country, we the people, will win once again. Uh, and I would just say this. I truly believe this, that once Americans wake up, uh, and that's, we have a tendency of, of going to sleep because we, we, we're, we're dreaming about our families and our future and our vacation, but once we wake up, and it sometimes takes a 9-11 or a Pearl Harbor, once we wake up, we win. We're waking up, and because we're president, it's allowed us to know that our country can be better that we should respect our flag, should respect women, should respect authority. Those kind of things that happen, all of a sudden we say, you know what, that makes sense, and let's make sure that we win this battle against the leftists. So I'm, I'm excited about where we are right now, and, uh, and, and uh, we have a great future ahead of us. I'm just excited about our, our kids coming along and learning now what we've gone through and become even better than the generation that, uh, uh, that follows them. Burgess. Well, first thing we 
I was going to say, take back the education system. It's important. Go ahead, Curtis. Oh, Go yeah. ahead. Should the um, Republicans take control of the House um, in 2020, and I believe that they will, is there any way they can um, enact law or legislate policy that will prevent another person like Shifty Schiff from doing what he's doing now? And I mean for both parties, you know. Because what yeah, he yeah. is doing now, it seems like it's unconstitutional, it's a farce, and there's no rule of law that's being um, held up in this, this proceeding. So, Curtis, you nailed it. You nailed it. And this is what happens when godless people take over. There is no law. It's whatever it takes for them to win. There's no shame. Um, uh, and it, again, it, every, every time you think about, and I'm, I'm going to answer that question, but Think about what the Democratic Party has done to the black community. When you go to Chicago and, and, and Baltimore and Philadelphia, there's total misery. And yet the black elitists that run those communities have no shame. They have no apologies. They don't try to change anything. They just continue to add power into themselves. And that's what you're seeing first time, uh, firsthand uh, right now in this impeachment process. So, yes, the good thing about, about uh, down times, about times that are really rough and you have to sit down and say, how in the world did we ever get here? is that when you come out of it, you're going to make changes. And we're going to make sure as we get control of the House, the Senate, and keep our president, that no one can do what these guys have done to this country the last three, three years. These guys have literally attempted a soft coup. They have, we have, we have a, 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 a deep state. There are people that have been working for government that truly have so much power, and they, and they hide behind their jobs that no one even sees that they're there. And they control so much because of the damage that they can do to people who don't, don't follow their, uh, their, their, their wishes. So, yes, I, I think this is a wake-up call for us. We just, I, I, I'll tell you what I would love. First of all, let's, let's, let's get rid of, let's disseminate the power in D.C. out into the country. Take some of these departments and put them out in the country closer to we the people so they have not only the, the heart of our country, but they're more accountable. You don't have this concentration uh, on where they can just do the things they want to do. I personally would love to see when, when people get a job, you've got to show up, you've got you to perform. Just having a job and, and be a civil servant just because you sign at some point and get a, a guaranteed income for 30, 40 years, and we have to do something about that. Every one of us, particularly those of us who are entrepreneurs, know that if we show up and give service, it, it ensures we have more income in the future. If we don't show up and give service, we also know that we have to find another way of making a living. Everyone in this country should feel the same way, which means we have to all serve each other and provide, provide value. If we don't, we need to find another way of making an income or, or learn the lessons and, and figure it out at some point. Well, that needs to be with government workers also. You know, it was before Obamacare and before Social Security. You would work for a company, you would get a pension from the company, and depending upon your value, you would get, you know, <laughs> health care, you would get, you know, uh, part of the stock reimbursement programs, you know, you would get these little quirks to keep you on that job because you were a valued employee. But with the rise of these social programs, with the rise of Obamacare, companies have dropped that completely. So there's no incentive for an employee to be loyal to the company, to be loyal to the boss. You can then move wherever you feel like and quality of services go down. You know, goods are being produced go down. 
So, you know, we've lost that, not just our faith, but our loyalty and our morality. I think I think a couple things. Um, we, we need to, first of all, return loyalty to Americans. What you just described, I saw back when I was in corporate sales, I saw that happening when all of a sudden those who, who worked for a company, gave everything to the company, realized that there was no loyalty to them. And a lot of that began when we got into these globalists. There are Americans who live in this country who do not like America. They see themselves, they see themselves as a uh, global citizen. So they have as much loyalty to China, to Korea, to Vietnam, as they have to America because that's where they make their money. And we have to understand that that's our biggest, the biggest problem we have today, guys, is, 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 is the lack of loyalty because, you know, you take away a history of who our country is. You take away God. You put instead money and, and our possibility above everything else. You get, you get a society. You get an elitist group that really does not care about we the people anymore. So I'm happy and I'm excited for the fact that we're now having conversations about bringing companies back to this country. And when you bring them back to this country and you want to keep the whole on to the employee, then the employee will do everything he can to keep them. When all of a sudden you have, like we have right now, we have more job openings for people who want to take them. I we have to make sure the quality is there. Guess what happens when they get a, an employer, employee that is of value? They will put everything in place to keep them. They'll make sure the insurance is right. They'll make sure they have a nice lunchroom. They'll do all those things to make sure they hold on to that invaluable employee. If we understand that and stop pushing our, our, our goods and our, and our businesses outside of our country where they can get you know, a, a dollar-per-hour deal and they can make all this profit and care less about us, as long as we can understand that that's, that is the enemy of our people, then we're in good, we're in good shape. One other, one other point, and I want to say this about uh, President Obama. The greatest president that President Obama gave our country was that he was a lousy president. And because he was so bad, people are now waking up and say, wait a minute, what happened to that open change? What, what, I mean, it, the, guy, the guy was so, was so unbelievable, progressive. I mean, he took off all breaks. And I think the leftists realized they thought at this point that they, 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 they were, they were going to get their done deal. They would no longer shame that they're socialists, they're communists, they would embrace it. And it's nice for us to finally see who we're, who we're fighting against. They've come from behind the curtains because of President Obama, because he was such a leftist, and he did it so in such a stealth way that people believed in him until they started feeling the pain. So now that they're from behind the curtains, they are going frantic. They're panicking. They realize that they, they came so close to taking this country over, and they, and they can't do it now because they have a president that's pulling us back from the, from the abyss. And I'll say this also. I really believe it's going to be the black community because all it takes is a few of us. They have been addicted to the black community for years. 93% they need 9% of embracing of, of us both to make it happen. What happens to get down to 80, 75, 70%? They lose their power. And that's why right now they have to bring in illegals who, are, who they can make dependent and take our place until they can get their power back in that regard. So I'm excited about where we are. I'm excited about, again, my race uh, waking up. And I think as we pull our, our, our race back, my community back, we'll end up pulling our entire country back at the same time. And uh, we have our, our next generation uh, being able to, to experience the American, American dream, which is exciting to me. Well, you know, there is a lot of hope because Brandon Strucker did that walk away movement, and it's still going like crazy. Every single day, more and more posts are coming up with people making videos, and the people from all across the spectrum, all races, all colors, all 
genders or whatever you want to call them. And they're, they're yeah. realizing that they've been hoodwinked and it's time to take our nation back to the republic our fathers uh, founded for us. And this is what this 2020 election is, is actually about. And you're right about taking our companies out of the global market and bringing them back home where the manufacturing is done. People don't realize <laughs> that all of our medications and our vaccines are being manufactured in China. Oh, we're going to trust China <laughs> for our health care. Our military hardware is being built by steel and components from China. China is can, not can, a, a friend. Out, why, an you, enemy. Why, why, what, let me just say this while you're, while you're pointing that out, because this is important. Keep in mind that President Obama stopped our outer space program, NASA, so that we can, take, we can get a ride with Russia. Imagine, I mean, let's talk about this. We now get a ride to space to, with Russia because Obama decided we didn't need to do that. We didn't need to innovate. We didn't need to explore anymore ourselves. That gives you an idea of how little vision these people have. There's no wisdom when you take God out of the picture. And the leftists, the socialists, Marxists, atheists have absolutely no vision. They see what's in front of them and what's best for them. So, no, I, I, told, I just had to put that in there because uh, uh, you're right. We have so much innovation here, so many resources, such a great culture, um, such a giving society. Why wouldn't everybody want to come here? And the key is, when they want to come here, earn it. Come here with value. Come here knowing that you want to be, you want to assimilate to our great country. Give us a reason to 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 open the doors so you can come in and join us. But don't plan on knocking the door down. Coming in, what it take from us? That's just not. It's not going to work. Americans don't don't put up with that stuff. So let's let's do it right, and uh, and, and we can grow our country with people from around the country, around the world, and, and continue to make our country great. Burgess. And we have to make. Oh, go ahead, Curtis. Go ahead. I was just going to ask, what do you think are the pros and cons of athletes getting paid in college? That's a good question. That's a good question, and I haven't spent a lot of time thinking through it. I'll say this: uh, I, I get concerned when when young athletes uh, start to focus on making big bucks and not recognizing that it's not going to happen for most people. You know, the one thing that, that we have in our society now is our kids. You go into our, you know, you go into our communities on the urban areas and you ask them where you're going to be when you grow up, guess what they say? I'm going to be another LeBron James. Or I'm going to be a baseball player. None of them are saying I want to be uh, um, a scientist, um, an astronaut. Uh, I want to run my own radio show. They don't say that because it's not put in front of them, and they're not being educated or even have a vision that can happen. So my concern you get these kids coming into college not recognizing that they're there to learn and to educate and learn how to think and prepare themselves, and that most of them will not make the big bucks. But they start making, they start making big income before that, um, before they get a chance to, to understand and grow that. I, I, I have a tendency of not thinking that's a good idea. Again, I, I haven't heard enough of the pros and cons on that, but uh, the way, the way I, I, I approached it, I was thankful I had a good mom and dad who had me to think correctly. Man, I just wanted education. I just wanted a scholarship. And the side benefit was I was there. I could, I could learn how to become a, a football player and allow me to have some more options. But, but uh, education has to be at the forefront. And I have a feeling when you start paying too soon for something that could be a pipe dream, education becomes lost. You have more and more young men and women that are, that are totally incapable of thinking when they leave, uh, leave school. That's, by the that's way, true. by the way, I mean, uh, Kaepernick, Kaepernick, uh, Colin Kaepernick is a great example of of how the college, the leftists, 
leave people totally incapable of thinking, any critical thinking, any common sense, and uh, and eventually it's going it's to it's going to end up wrong. It's going to be a, it's going to be a crash and burn. Just give enough time, it'll be a crash and burn because that's the way it was when you when you can't when you let other people use you as a tool. Yeah, not only that, they're getting a a, a college scholarship, so they're being paid technically. Yeah. The tuition is being paid, so they want to be paid on top of that. Uh, yeah. Let's see if we can bring the IRS in there and maybe even change the standing of the college so now the college is taxed on the income they earn off those gains. So uh, there's there's a there's a lot more to that. Yes. And I agree. I totally agree because there's a lot of work. When I say that I graduated from the University of Miami, how much value has that been to me throughout my entire career? And not only is there a sense of pride because you accomplished something, but there's a value because when other people hear that you've been able to accomplish certain things, you know, I don't care what college it might be, there's just another lift up in terms of what you can accomplish and what people believe you can accomplish. So you're absolutely correct. That, that is, in a sense, it's a free college education. Here's the thing. We need to get back into our school systems, take away from the leftists, and have our kids learn how to think when they come to college. My, my dad was a college educator. He was so frustrated toward the end of his career. These kids coming in, not knowing how to study, not knowing how to think, but expected to pass through because they've been there for a year. They just want to move on to the next one. And uh, so, so we have to, to take back our school system, educate. Um, remember the head part, because if we don't, again, Thomas Jefferson, Ignorant and free can never be. That is a found, that's one of our founders. We cannot be free if we cannot think. We cannot debate. We cannot um, uh, control our narrative. And if we get to the point where we just beat people up because we, we get frustrated because they have a better argument, that's what you call social Marxism and anarchy because uh, we can't, we can't uh, run our country that way. Well, Burgess, thank you for being on. Um, People like you running for Congress, we need to change this. And this is going to be a soft revolution, not bullets, but ballots. Thank you, Burgess, and God bless you. And listen, guys, remember, BurgessForUtah.com. And thank you guys, uh, Curtis and Annie, for so much. I, just do this as much as we can. I love talking with you guys. And we'll, we'll, All right. We'll move forward, okay? We'll get thank you, you back. Guys. Appreciate soon. it. Bye-bye. All right. Happy Thanksgiving, too. Take care, guys. All right. Take care. Okay. Bye-bye. All right, Burgess Owens, check him out. Uh, God, uh, uh, this is such a fantastic show. I want to bring back on, not bring back, welcome onto the show, running for Elijah Cummings' seat out of Maryland. And boy, that's a lot of work that's going to be ahead of you. Kim Classic, good afternoon, Kim. How are you doing today? Good. How are you? I'm doing great. Yeah, sorry about you not being able to dial in. Sometimes the switchboard goes a little wacky on us, and sometimes it takes a few times and a few tries. I mean, no, it's okay. It's fine. You're, you're running for Maryland District 7 with your primary coming up April 28th, and you've got a, a, a district that's so many problems in there, and Trump got called out because he recognized that this this one segment of Baltimore is completely ignored, and yet billions upon billions of tax dollars are being shoveled into the precinct, but where's the money going? You know, that's a great question, and unfortunately, you know, in this area, Baltimore City, we, we deal with so much corruption. 
Um, we actually have uh, the highest amount paid per pupil in our education system, yet the results show that many kids can't do basic math or even basic reading. And so what we have is a lot of money being squandered and then a lot of money going missing. And so it is really tough. You know, our primary is actually February 4th in the special election. The general is April 28th. And so it's a very condensed period of time. But I think if I go out and talk to every voter, um, I'm hoping that people will understand that a change is needed. You know, you've got a fantastic website, KimKForCongress.com. And on there, as well as your Facebook page, you have instance after instance where you're going through the neighborhoods and showing how, you know, burned out areas, garbage all over the place. Uh, one section you were going through were back roadway where you know a police officer so depressed committed suicide yeah it, it, it mm-hmm. and people people are crying out for change i heard one woman go i don't care what party you belong to if you can do something for us please do it yes and, and that's where the people are right now in their mind and you know it's just a shame that we have the mainstream media uh you know like cnn brian settler april ryan attacking me and and people like me in Baltimore that want to show the truth because there's a lot of people saying, you know what, I don't care about the party anymore. I care about the education system. I care about the quality of life. I care about Baltimore. You know, Baltimore used to be a beautiful city, and I really think you can rebuild and bring it back to that, but it's going to take a change, you know, not just in the congressional level, but on the local level as well. You know, we have a, a mayor election coming around. We have a city council. We have a city council president that wishes to be mayor, um, yet he's been the chair of the violence committee since 2011. And we are going on the fifth straight row uh, or year in a row where we've had over 300 murders. Um, and this is after wow. the riots in 2015. And so we have so many problems and so many issues. Uh, but what we get from local leaders are, are bans on plastic bags or banning styrofoam or, or straws. You know, it's like they want to be trendy with the grandstanding, but we have serious issues, and that's why I say we have real problems that need real solutions. Yeah, because I, I, I was looking at your Facebook page, and you had one registered voter in the district allegedly reached out to the mayor, Jack Young, about her concerns, and his response was, she asked him, what do you plan to do about it? And his response is, I have crime and violence in my neighborhood, too. Excuse me? Yeah. Yep, that's his response. He even said, uh, you know, in front of the media just two weeks ago, he's not the one committing murders, so why are you blaming leadership? And this guy is actually running for mayor. I mean, it's it's unbelievable. He's the interim mayor because our mayor just resigned in, in disgrace, but, you know, now he wants to run for mayor as well, but he has no answer for the crime and the violence and all of the homicides. Something has to be done, and your website is absolutely wonderful because you're out there talking to the people. How many other candidates that you're running against in the primary are doing the same thing you did, actually knocking on doors and going to some of the worst neighborhoods possible? Uh, So there's 32 candidates in all running in this uh, 7th traditional uh, race, but I haven't seen anyone actually going out. You know, I'm out there every day. I haven't seen anyone else. Um, I haven't seen any pictures or posts from anyone else. I guess you could say that doesn't mean that they're not out there. Um, But I hope, you know, if anything, hopefully me going out uh, inspires others to do the same because there's a lot of people that honestly just want to be heard and want to know where they can turn for help. And so when you have a neglected area, 
um, and you have where, you know, local or government officials have never even been there to say hello. Uh, you have a lot of people that are concerned with that and have so many issues that they just want to let you know, you know, what's going on. And so I think by just being there, I'm hoping that we'll have a huge turnout uh, this election cycle. Well, you know, we, we have a huge growing homeless site. We see homelessness. We see it mostly in urban areas, but even where I live, you know, our little city, it's, it's a tiny little city. We're seeing it. You know, it's growing across the country, and very few things are being done to find out why. I mean, I know there's going to be multiple different reasons, but who is actually looking to find out why we have this growing problem? Yeah, so, you know, I, I don't know about every town, but I know in Baltimore City, uh, we have a situation, especially on the west side where most of my videos are filmed, we have a situation where there's a lot of homeless people dealing with, um, struggling with addiction. And so a lot of them actually live in uh, the abandoned and vacant homes. And when you have methadone clinics, you know, you've got five per four square miles. You know, you've got so many clinics for them to go to. Um, and then, unfortunately, when the clinics aren't open, you know, you've got those that are dealing with drugs hanging out in those areas because that's where the clientele is. And so it's just a lot easier uh, sometimes for them to be in these areas. And, unfortunately, when you're struggling with addiction, uh, you know, having a home or a roof over your head and, and paying bills isn't the first thing on your mind. Um, so I don't know what's going on, you know, in the rest of the country, but I know in Baltimore we definitely need to deal with the um, the struggle with addiction and mental health issues. Uh, those are huge. And, you know, I know for a long time here we've been ignoring them. Uh, Baltimore City is always talking about gun control. Most of our, our violence um, perpetrated by suspects that have guns, those guns weren't purchased legally to begin with. So gun control isn't going to help that situation. And so until they stop ignoring exactly what's going on, um, I don't see much relief. You know, we got to go with something else. Well, I, if I'm correct, Maryland has some of the strictest gun laws in the nation uh, outside of New York. And uh, so taking guns away from legal people legal citizens to defend themselves is not going to solve the crime problem. And plus they're going now with red flag laws. That is absolutely correct. Now I actually grew up in Akakeek, Maryland, Southern Maryland, where we had, we were known for the Beretta gun factory. Uh, they left back in 2004 because of the strict gun laws. Um, yes, we have some of the strictest gun laws in the nation, yet we are top three, I believe, as, as far as uh murders uh, by, by gun violence. So I don't know. Strict gun laws don't seem to be helping the situation. I believe Chicago has the same uh, gun laws, if not more, and they too are up there in the top three. So it's not the gun laws. You know, people are saying this, you know, definitely on the left, but that's not the case. Uh, we have to deal with the other situations surrounding why people go to a gun and decide to point it at their fellow neighbor. And if you have where you have, like you, massive homelessness, drug dealing, and it's going to be a high crime rate, high murder, well, where are the guns coming from? They're coming from criminals to criminals. So if you allow a citizen to defend themselves, maybe we might chase some of those bad guys away, guys, if you think about that. But no, instead, it's more laws, more restrictions, and they're more worried about plastic bags and straws 
than public safety. This is why you're running for Congress. This is why you're exposing what's going on in the district. And we need more people like you on this. Now, with the school district, I read something, and correct me if I'm wrong, but because of the quality of the school districts, they were actually moving students to different schools to make things look a little bit better. They were doing some sort of a gerrymandering, and families were having to move because the they were too far away from the school the kid was going to? Yes, so that's actually in my district in CD7, uh, Howard County. So in Howard County, known for great schools, uh, there are a lot of wealthy people in that area. Um, they're doing redistricting so that they don't show so many kids in one school on what they call the farm program, and that's the food program uh, for those that need help, you know, with the school lunches. Uh, so they want to take those students and actually sprinkle them out throughout the school system in Howard County so it doesn't appear as though so many students need it in one area. So they're actually relocating, I believe it came to 5,300 is the, is the total count. They try to relocate wow. 7,400, 5,300 students, and some of them were walking to school. Now they're going to have to be taking the bus. Um, because they want to even out this number. And so to me, it's like here you have a problem, you know, with poverty or a problem with, you know, a situation where we could probably address someone's entire life, an entire community, by helping them with finding, you know, more financial independence and, and jobs and, you know, not just employment but education to get different employment, maybe better employment. But instead, they rather take these kids and just sprinkle them throughout the system to kind of diminish exactly what's going on. And it's, it's yeah, parents are upset. Uh, I was at one of the meetings on uh, Monday, actually. Parents were there with their signs protesting it. They received over hundreds of me- emails from parents saying how disturbed they were at the situation, how they rather just deal with the poverty. And, you know, the school board just said, no, we're just going to do it this way because it's a lot easier. You know, it's about convenience. It's not about the kids. It's what's convenient for the adults. Now, you had mentioned education, and I had a a conversation at my Tea Party meeting, and our guest was the school superintendent who's new to the area. And one of the things that we used to do is that at the high schools, we had adult education. So you have someone in a poor area in a menial job or something, if they can get to the high school at a discounted price that was easy to handle, you know, take a course bring themselves up. So not only just the child getting a better education, the parent would be better educated to bring the whole neighborhood up. You know, is, is the school district even trying to do something like that? It doesn't appear so. It appears that they're just going to pretend it's not happening. You know, it's like you've got a dumpster fire behind you, but you're just not going to look behind you. You're going to act like it's not there. And I'm glad you brought that up because in the West Baltimore area as well, also in the 7th District, uh, I have been talking to uh, different training programs for CDL licensing across the nation. There is a trucker shortage. Now, there's a lot of truckers that make six figures. So I've been talking to people. Uh, there's one group called CFI. He's saying, yes, we can actually get people on this program. It's a six-week program, and we can get them certified for the CDL license and place them for a job. So I said, wow, in six weeks you can place them in a job where they could possibly make six figures? And he said, yes. I said, so why isn't anyone taking advantage of this? It's $2,000 per, per pupil for the school. He goes, oh, I don't know. They, they haven't called. 
I'm like, so there's there are so many opportunities, electricians, you know, so many opportunities, especially in this area where you do have people that are convicted felons. You do have people that don't have their uh, GED or, or high school diploma. You have opportunities that you could actually bring them, and still you don't. you rather ban plastic bags. But this is just what, you know, for me, this is what the left focuses on, and we've got to get out of that. Curtis, go ahead. Kim, Hello. I live in Florida, and I'm from Philadelphia. When I look at cities like Philadelphia, um, Baltimore, Detroit, Chicago, Memphis, and I, I look at the, the crime and the drug problems they are having, I see bad policy, and I see corruption mm-hmm. in the leadership. Now, mm-hmm. I have a brother He's a former congressman. His name is Shaka Fatah, and he's doing 10 years in federal prison because he got caught up in some things um, in service to um, the Philadelphia area. And um, when you get into Congress, what can you do to fight corruption and to um, prevent yourself from being corrupted? That's, That's my question. That's, that's a great question. So I'll, I'll go backwards. I'll say to present, prevent myself from being corrupted. Number one, I like to think that I was, you know, raised with some moral values, right? But at the same time, I understand people are not perfect and they fall into things. But this is why I believe term limits are so important. If you had someone in the congressional level and all they could serve is three terms, you would be more focused on making an impact and not sitting there trying to, you know, look at for backdoor deals and are trying to make those certain friends to get those backdoor deals. The term limits, I think, is a must. To stop some of this corruption is we got to expose it. You know, there's that slush fund book that we heard about maybe three years ago, $17 million paid out in harassment lawsuits on Capitol Hill, a lot of them sexual harassment suits. And this is a secret fund that the Treasury Department hides from the public. But $17 million is from taxpayers. So stuff like that needs to be exposed. We need to see who's in that book, who's used money out of that book, and if they're still on Capitol Hill. And so to me, you know, they always have, we see the oversight committees, you know, they're saying, oh, you know, we need transparency. Well, well, the people, I believe, need transparency. You know, it's like no one's got oversight on all the people on Capitol Hill. And so that's the first thing I would bring uh, going down there. That's a huge amen to that one, because if you look at what Schiff is doing with his campaign funds and, and paying into the other members of Congress, their PACs, members of Congress that will be voting on articles of impeachment, if that's not bribery, if that's not corruption, I don't know what is. And yet, because it's in Congress, it's, it's allowed. It, it's got to stop. Yes. It has oh, to. You're right. You're right. Now, I've got so many things to talk to you about, geez, uh, because we've got uh, right now the left loves to divide us into groups, and they love to say it's this person, that group against that group. That way they can divide the the people and give them an excuse to fight each other so that they can get themselves reelected. What would you do when you get to Congress to help unify people as unhyphenated Americans? Right. That's, you know, it's a great point. All these, uh, the identity politics has got to stop. Um, I had people on my Twitter feed for the past 24 hours asking me what my black agenda was. You know, as a black person, I don't have a black agenda. I have an American agenda. 
And in my opinion, if we all win, then we all win. And so people need to understand a lot of times some of the policies and the laws in place prohibit us from doing much better in life. And so I believe less government is more. And so if they could just understand, and this is things that I'll propose and, and policies that I'll propose to just scale back and remove some of these things. You know, just the government uh, dependency uh, programs. People don't understand the way the government measures the success in welfare is how many people successfully sign up, not how many people go on to be financially independent. That tells you all you need to know. You know, the government wants so much control. They believe that they should be basically one foot inside your household. Um, and a lot of times we see, you know, the failure of the family structure because of that. And so for me, you know, scaling back on some of these laws and in the policies that prohibit us from taking control of our own narrative, uh, that's something that I'll be working on for sure. Well, I'm glad you mentioned family because family is one thing, but also bringing faith back to help that family stay unified. We see our faith being attacked time and time again. Um, the little sisters of charity being challenged in their faith, being forced to offer abortion services when these are Catholic nuns, and it's against their faith. You see uh, 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 Christian schools closing down because they're told you have to have a transgender uh, bathroom, even though it's against their Christian faith. You know, we see our attack on faith time and time again used to stifle us. What would you be doing to help bring back religious freedom? Yes, and so, you know, I started out many years ago as as a, a intern or a volunteer on Capitol Hill where I used to help out giving the tours. And in the Emancipation Hall, it says on the walls there, in God we trust. You know, you look at your money, in God we trust. And that is important. You know, like you said, they've taken things away, the national anthem. You know, we trust in God. This is part of our nation. This is part of who we are. And the reason we are, in my opinion, the greatest country in the world is because of everything that we have in place. You know, if we want to be lawless, if we want to get rid of religion completely or not let people have freedom of religion, then we're no longer that great country. You know, all these pullbacks, they want to decriminalize um, illegal immigration. Well, no, that's a crime. There's a reason that's a crime. And everyone else was on board with it, even President Obama, but now President Trump is really doing something about it as well, and everybody's losing their mind. You know, there's a reason that we have these laws, and there's a reason why we're the best country in the world, and it is because of the laws we have. And I think people need to remember that and understand that. And I think that will be a great way to continue to unify us. You know, we, we should value God, and the fact that we don't value him as much you can see in just in the streets in Baltimore, you know, how people have lost the value of life. You know, we've had over 700 uh, shootings this year, over 700. That's unheard of. The most, I believe, the most in history, 112 more than we had at this time last year. You know, we got to get back to faith. That is a great point. And also the rule of law, because we see our law enforcement officers under attack like never before. I shouldn't say never. But it was bad in the 60s and 70s, but it's now reverting back to that, where anarchy rules and cops are handcuffed. Yep. Yeah. And so people, I think people do know now we are under a consent decree 
in uh, Baltimore, and we are down, uh, I believe it was 450 police officers. Uh, so we, we have issues. We do. Um, and so here we are. We don't have enough cops on the streets, and the cops that we do have don't have any respect, and they don't really have any authority. You know, and so it is. It's like, a, you know, the wild, wild west is what I refer to it at times. Okay. Well, Kim, you're running for Elijah Clyburn's seat as Maryland at District 7. Your website is kimforcongress.com, and people can go there even though they don't live in the district and they want to see that seat go red. They can go in there, make a donation, get information, volunteer, uh, whatever, but they can help you with your campaign. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Kim K for Congress.com. Um, like you said, if you go on my Facebook, Kimberly Clasic, uh, you'll see, you know, not just the videos, the pictures of people that I've been meeting this week uh, that are ready to vote and excited to make a change. And, you know, I, I just, you know, hope people will follow me. You can go to that website and put in your email address. You get some updates. And if you want to volunteer, you can. You know, this isn't just about money. Just coming out there and maybe hitting the streets. You know, if you have time on a Saturday morning, you know, I, I appreciate it all. Kim. As a matter of fact, you had a great video of a guy who did that. Curtis, we're down to our last four and a half minutes. Um, I, I'm afraid we, we've run out of time. Uh, but, Kim, thank you for joining us. And we'll have you back on the show. We'll get as much publicity out there for you as possible. All right. Thank you. I appreciate it. And yeah, I, was, I just want to say thank you, for, thank you for having the courage to, to run in a largely Democrat district. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you. All right. All right. Check it out. Kimsforcongress.com. Do check it out. Make a donation. Uh, if you live in the area and you can travel up there and wave some signs for her, do that. Anything we can help. And, and we've got to take all these seats back. We've got to take Congress back. Curtis, we will be back the day after Thanksgiving uh, because I had some guests lined up. Uh, Pastor Paula White, whatever the mix-up was, we got her booked on on Friday, so she will be with us mm-hmm. the day after Thanksgiving, and maybe give us a blessing. Uh, we also have uh, John Horvat; uh, he'll be joining us, uh, and then we also have Michael Schwartz, who has a new book out about the rise and fall of the Tea Party. So we got great guests lined up for the day after Thanksgiving. So if you're stuffed with that turkey, you want to just sit back for the rest of the afternoon and chill out. Join us then. So Curtis, that's all I've got for today. Well, I enjoyed it. We we went through this again too fast, <laughs> but I loved it. <laughs> well, we're going to leave everyone with Gary Pecorella, his song, Save America. I stand for the flag and I kneel for the cross. Good night and God bless. Oh
America. 